This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. It's Thursday, which means, you know, time to wind it down. Start winding it down. I mean, you still got two more days. So mail it in today? No, no, no. Today, finish strong. Tomorrow, mail it in. Tomorrow, mid-afternoon. Okay. I mean, just turn it off. I started phoning it in yesterday. I noticed that. That was weird. Hey, congratulations to the Simpsons. Jeff Simpson has a new home. He's the owner of a new home. Yay. So your mortgage company that you were really frustrated with yesterday, have they came through yesterday, you had your signing, you signed your name 100,000 times. Yes. And now you owe your right, left, and neck. And my arm. My third child. And your third child. Yeah. So you did it. So we don't need to release names today. No. So, because um, that bums me out, I was really excited to start throwing names out there. The, the threat was on the table, but so calmer heads. Stuart P. Oh, that's probably a little too specific. Let's just say uh, S. Paisley. Um, <laughs> you're off the hook, Stuart Paisley. Okay, good. Okay, Stuart Paisley. I'm writing that down. from Stonebridge and Sons. Stuart Paisley. Okay, um, <laughs> he's off the hook. He. It's all done. No names will be released. We're not going to give addresses, anything like that. Right. Okay, good. They okay. came through. It's done. Everyone's happy. Yes. When do you move in? Uh, the day before Thanksgiving. Oh, boy. Yeah. Y'all be just basking in the sun the day before Thanksgiving. Not to brag. Hey, it snowed at my house. Did it snow at your house? Yes. It frosted. Frosted. At your new house, there's going to be snow because I kind of drove by that area. Yeah. Three inches of snow. Wow. Isn't that great? Yeah. Winter's here. So there was like you had to shovel. No. Is there? Is it on the cement or did it's it It's not on the cement, just on the lawn. See, I don't know if it's a real snow unless you have to actually get out the shovel. Oh, I dread that day. I think this afternoon we'll be getting out the shovel. Really? That's what they say. Nice. Ought to be fun. Throw for, my kid out there? For all y'all in the uh, Intermountain West, you know, you might be getting some snow today. At what age do you put your child in the snow? And then it seemed as, you know, people like, think it's fun and like it's not dangerous. Like throw them in the snow? Yeah. Oh, boy. Easily six months. Seven weeks? <laughs> no, no. Oh, come on. She's get, tough? Get her into the months. Like when okay. she has multiple months under her belt, then you put her in a little snowsuit and you can only see her nose and then you throw her in. <laughs> okay. When is it okay to start whitewashing them? Ooh, yeah. Whitewashing them. That has a whole different connotation lately. That was Re- snow. Just, okay. You, you mash their face in the snow. I mean, it's, oh, that's it's, just it's never a, it's appropriate. It's a fun activity. Never for appropriate. Fathers and children. When, when, maybe when they are about your same size. So when they're a teenager. When do you show them the old fastball with the snowballs? You can try that anytime you want. Oh, nice. But here's let me teach you the trick, guys. Okay. Each of your children will eventually surpass you in age, intelligence, wealth. Mm. And when they do, you're going to want them not to have those memories. So do this as young as possible so they can't remember. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> if you're going to whitewash your child, do it when they're young. That's nice. Matt's advice. Hey, we got a great day today. Mickey Mouse Day. Who's the of the 1928. 
believe he was Steamboat Willie at this point. Yeah, Mickey won the nomination for the Academy Award for Best Animated Short Film, won one in 1928. Man. Whatever happened to Donald? He's around. Is he? Yeah. Did you hear what Sadie said? No. His copyright is coming up in 2028. Ooh. Wow. Hmm. That's a big deal. By the way, I think the only animated character to ever win an Oscar, because he's a, you know, he's like a real entity. Well, he is a real entity. Yeah. Yeah. I see him. He's he's a Disneyland. Yeah. He was huge. Nice. He's got a good, you know, good head of fur. I think he's kind of pompous, though, if you've ever met him. Oh, I have never met a cockier mouse than that little Mickey. (laughs) Just so full of himself. No, he's so full of love, and he wears shorts. Hey, uh, it's also Use Less Stuff Day. What a great... Mm. What a great day. This just made Sadie's day. (sighs) She's doing hand gestures like a princess. That's crazy. Turn that off. Use Less Stuff Day. This is the day that you just got to consume less. Really? I mean, you eat as much as you want. Nice. But don't, like, buy other junk to have around your house. Just eat what you have. Everybody go eat what you have. Okay. It's to take care of Mother Earth, of course. Right. Use Less Stuff Day. It was established as a campaign to save the environment and to save the world. How's he doing? Um, pretty good. Okay. <laughs> Some would say it, it missed on Trump. Uh, we'll see. A lot of people still, uh, you know reeling about the Donald Trump um, selection of Steve Bannon. We'll get to that, have a little, uh, some interesting insight on that. Plus, Hillary Clinton still in the news, still talking here and there. We'll get uh, get to some news clips, some audio clips of that, just in case you've missed hearing her voice. All that fun. Plus, we will be talking about, um, we, I've, I have a friend that uh, listened to a show we did a while ago. So this means oh, right. you. No. Okay. Um, and we did a show about green energy and how many jobs it's going to create. And this friend of mine is the CEO of a, of a power company. And he, he said, okay, that's great. Uh, that was one point of view. Let me, give you, let me give you another point of view of what's happening, for example, with all the coal miners in the country when Hillary Clinton says we're shutting down coal for green and clean energy across the world. Uh, we want to do it. He's very pro-clean energy as well, but he also wants all of us to know some of the other truths, some of the other facts and um, it's just it's it's a very interesting interview that we will be playing for you in a few minutes about the future of uh, coal, clean coal versus green energy. They're going green. Even the coal companies are going green. But there's a way to do it. And then there's not a way to do it. He's going to talk about a really a healthier probably way to do it. You know, phase it in. And Hillary's going green with envy. Yes, she is. If only you could harness the power of the envy. Then you'd be in some. Okay, we will uh, get to all that fun. But first, let's go to Sadie Nielsen with the headline. Sadie, what's going on around the rest of the country? New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio met with President-elect Donald Trump Wednesday morning at Trump Tower to discuss the concerns and needs of all New Yorkers, de Blasio said in an afternoon press conference. The meeting, which lasted just over an hour, touched on Trump's proposed deregulation of Wall Street, his proposed ban on Muslim immigration, and his plan to deport millions of undocumented immigrants. 
The White House on Wednesday announced the 20 recipients of the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Some of those on this year's list are basketball legend Michael Jordan, television host and actress Ellen DeGeneres, actors Robert De Niro, Robert Redford, and Tom Hanks, musicians Bruce Springsteen and Diana Ross, sportscaster Vin Scully, business people and philanthropists Bill and Melinda Gates. Vice President Joe Biden emerged from a meeting Wednesday with Vice President-elect Mike Pence and assured everything will be just fine when President-elect Donald Trump's administration takes over the White House in January. After nearly two hours of meeting over lunch at the Naval Observatory, which was also attended by Pence's wife Karen and Biden's wife Jill, Biden told reporters he is confident on from day one everything will be in good hands. Further, Biden admitted that quite frankly, no administration is ready for day one. We weren't really. Though Biden has been a vocal critic of Trump's, he told. Uh, Mike Pence, he's available to him 24/7. I plan on being available to Mike as a senior staff. Biden said, noting that he is not worried worried about the new administration undoing the Obama administration's work. And finally, yes, ma'am. In your grandma news. Oh, good. <laughs> This is a. Funny little story that happened.、Um, an Alabama grandmother is gaining viral fame after her attempt to put a baby to bed went spectacularly awry, and she was caught on a baby monitor camera. The woman tried to reach over the side of the crib while standing on a stool, and the woman ended up plunging headfirst into the crib with the child still in her arms. <laughs> Neither party suffered any injuries from the fall, but the baby was left wide awake after、oh, yeah. Grandma climbed, climbed back out of the crib. And her daughter tweeted, "My mom is going to kill me, but I had to post." For Those of you who don't know, my mom is five foot,、uh, and she has always been vertically challenged. I love this this crazy woman. Oh wow! Um, she yeah. So it's this tiny little grandma. She steps on the stool. She's like balancing the baby. Steps up, still trying to balance, and then leans forward, and then all of a sudden,、oh, her whole geez, body just falls right、grandma. into the crib. <laughs> yeah, we're watching it right now. It is.、Um... Grandma is in the baby's crib. She yep, fits,、yeah. and she just kind of sits up and crawls oh, back out. Sorry, honey. <laughs> grandma didn't mean to squish you. <laughs> oh, what a cute grandma, though. Yeah, it's cute, grandma.、And、then she climbs. Grandma, what you doing? Just putting the kids to bed. <laughs> She's in their crib. Oh wow, grandmas are great. Yes, they are. My kid's grandma、um, fell. Is the word, but she actually sat on our dishwasher door.、Mm-hmm. She tripped on it because she was walking backwards, and it was open and fell on it, and then broke it. So a free babysitting job cost us like eight hundred bucks. Thanks, Grandma. Serves you right for going cheap. No, never again. Should have got a pro. Don't go cheap. Wow, thanks, Sadie. That's the Grandma update、uh, for those of you that、uh, are keeping score. The scary thing is that could have happened twenty years ago, and it would never been caught on monitors.、Right. Now everything's on a monitor. You can't get away with anything anymore. My question is, why was somebody filming that? That But, was always my question、no, with America's just, funniest home videos. Yeah, like,、right. why are you filming this mundane moment? No, that was、moment? a baby monitor that just captured it. A lot of those now they、mm. update to the web, so they can just grab the video and look at it. It looked like he was filming it though, because you could hear the audio of his laughter as he was filming it. Oh, oh, maybe he was filming it off of a monitor. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Recording it off of the monitor. Yeah, but it was probably after the fact, right? Because 
it was just recorded to the web, and then they're like, "Let's let, now we got dirt on Grandma." Yeah, it's probably one of the kids. But that's that was the thing on America's Funniest Home Videos. It's like let's film so and let's film little Billy throwing this tire down the street and see what happens. And yet, you, he, they knew what was going to happen. They knew. They always knew. Did you hear? Um, speaking of pictures, did you see that picture of Joe Biden as a young man? No. That is just making everyone crazy, hot, and bothered. Why? He was a really good-looking guy. Oh, okay. Like really, really good-looking guy. People need to settle down, it sounds like. And they can't stop talking about it. He had hair, like he had teeth. Sure. <laughs> he had everything. And, um, but he was a, just okay. a really good-looking guy. And what a neat vice president to say, Mike Pence, I'm here for you, brother. Well, he takes the same approach that uh, the president has, is that there's no room in this for right. you know petty fights. We have to figure out how to keep the keep, government running. Right. And Joe, you know, and like Jeff just said, Joe doesn't have much going on. So he's like, I'm here whenever you need me. No, he's seriously. still a good looking guy. He's a very good looking he guy. He should be like a senior model. I know. No, totally. Or in commercials or something. But, you know, people know him as Joe Biden. So I don't know if that would go. No, he's, well. he's got work to do. What's going to happen with his cancer initiative? Like, wasn't he the guy I've that was going to... I've heard some talk that that would continue because, I mean... He should. That he's it's the, not like people are going he to could be, be the cancer, cancer right? right. It's it, benign now. Okay. Wow. Did he just say that? Yeah, he did. Okay, will you write that down? It's all right. We'll talk Sensitivity about that. training. Later. We'll talk about that later. Um, we've got to play a flu, a flu, a few clips for you. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell was... Um, Voted in again as the speaker, what do they call him? The Senate Majority Leader. And um, then he went into his wonderful little reception area in his office, and the press had some questions for him. And the first question was about the appointment of Steve Bannon as a special advisor to President Trump. Listen to Majority Leader Mitch McConnell's awkward moment. Uh, Steve Bannon has taken a lot of flack from the left, um, and Senator Reid's going to go to the floor today and, and apparently really blast him um, for his connections uh, in, in the past. And I want to know, are you comfortable with him having such a high-level position in the Trump administration? It's great to see you guys today. So no, no defense of Bannon, then. All right, that'll do it. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Great to see you guys today. So the guy that the uh, president-elect has appointed as the co-equal to the chief of staff yeah. and the Senate majority leader, who is a Republican, mm-hmm. doesn't want to talk about it. What do you think of Steve Bannon's appointment? I like ice cream. <laughs> he did that twice yesterday. That was awkward. Yeah. He's, so apparently he's not going to talk about appointees. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good to know. Good to know. Um, another uh, problem, one of Trump's surrogates, Carl Higby, uh, made another comment that about Muslim registry, the idea that we might have Muslims register their names so we know where the Muslims in the country are, which is absolutely absurd. But it then, then this Carl Higby made a, a really strange comparison that I bet he wish he could take back. Yeah, and, and perfectly, perfectly honest, it is legal. They say it'll hold constitutional muster. I know the ACLU is going to challenge it, but I think it'll pass. And we've done it with Iran back uh, back a, a while ago. We did it during World War II with Japanese, which, 
you know, call it what you Come will, on. maybe, maybe you're wrong. Not, you're not proposing we go back to the days of internment camps, I hope. No, 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 I'm not proposing that at all, Megan. But what I am saying is that we need to protect that. America I mean, that's, that's the kind of stuff that gets people scared, Carl. Right. But it's, I'm just saying there is precedent for it. And I'm not saying I agree with it. But in this case, I absolutely believe that a regional base... You can't be citing Japanese internment camps as precedent for anything the president-elect is going to do. Look, the president needs to protect America first. And if that means having people that are not protected under our Constitution have some sort of registry so we can understand until we can identify the true threat and where it's coming from, I support it. You, you get mm. the protections once you come here. <laughs> when you come to the country, there's... Yeah. Yeah. You get those. So, Oops. Found that to be interesting and... and yeah. Again, you, you don't cite that. You, Megan Kelly's interesting as she is doing this book tour. Yeah. Answering all these questions. And then she goes back to the. She was at CNN. They recorded something earlier in the day. And then I, I watched that. Then I flipped over because they purposely schedule her so she's not running against herself, which right, makes sense, right. right? Smart. And then you flip over and she's having this conversation. And you're like, wow. It's just a, a, a weird day for her. Well, and. She's, yeah, she's talking about Trump and how she had to get uh, uh, security to protect her and her family after mm. the whole flare-up, and then Roger Ailes and her, you know, what she talked about with what he said to her and in, in the book and thing, and then she goes, and then we're talking internment camps. Hmm. <laughs> Unbelievable! And again, it's I, you, you can't keep putting lipstick on a pig. It's the. It, the Muslim registry isn't – it's not going to work. Muslims are faith. But he, he used it's that. It's a belief system. There are people that faith. voted for it's, him possibly because sure, of that. Sure, but it's not – it's not a – it's a faith. It's yeah. not a – it's not a country. It's not a country we're at war with. It's a faith. Mm. Holy cow. Because if there's a Muslim registry, eventually there could be a Mormon registry – and no, an evangelical registry no. and a Scientology registry. No. Holy Hannah. I might support that last one. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the Hollywood A-listers. Um, okay. Green energy. It's the future. We know it, right? It's there. What about millions of coal miners? What about millions of people that are trying to generate energy um, using coal, and it's already established, and all of the jobs that are behind that. Do we just turn all of that off today so we can get green energy today? Well, the reality is green energy has its own flaws, and uh, we we have Kimball Rasmussen will be joining us in an interview we did. He's a CEO of a, a Utah-based power plant, but he's got some pretty interesting insight as to some of the immediate problems with green and then green energy and then how we can eventually move to green energy without immediately throwing away coal interesting stuff stick with us we're going to help you see both sides of the argument this is the matt townsend show we'll be right back Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. You know, the question of how we are going to meet our growing population's electrical needs has uh, led to developments, you know, in public funding for renewable energy sources like solar power, wind generation. Our nation's current electrical needs are met in large part by coal-burning power plants, however, right? And there tends to be this huge argument between 
coal technology and the desire or the need to create uh, clean coal. And yet, uh, let's not invest there. Let's go invest in all of these cleaner sources of energy, um, wind, solar, and, 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 uh, and examples like that. So here's the dilemma. We already have institutions created, jobs being taken uh, and made, and families receiving their day-in, day-out income from coal. Do we just toss all that out? Just toss it all out? Country and, and, and literally gut many states, many towns, many communities. Or how do you phase in a healthier transition? A few weeks ago, we had on the, uh, the show um, a, an article and, a, and the researcher behind the article talking about how Clinton said clean energy um, would create millions of jobs. And then all of a sudden, Clinton lost the election. And so we decided we wanted to be able to talk to somebody that's in the industry that can help us understand the coal side, the coal miner side, the real business side of coal and help us understand a way that maybe we could move forward. Joining us today is a good friend, Kimball Rasmussen. He's the CEO of Utah-based Deseret Power Electric Cooperative, and uh, he's got some serious depth. He's been a CEO. How long have you been CEO, Kimball? About 17 years. How long in the industry total? Oh, my goodness. I started in 1981. Man, you've been at it. I've been at it. And... uh, I've uh, had a chance to work with you and your board and your team, and I think it's it's much more complicated than what one interview could even really you know capture. These are people's lives. Absolutely, they're hardworking. This is this is true Americana. It really is. If you could go down and see a coal mine, it's just incredible what these people do. Well, and there was it seems like a backlash um, from the Clinton against the Clinton side. She made a comment in West about West Virginia that we're going to close those coal plants, and I mean it makes sense, right? If it's if it really is polluting and it's doing so much destruction to the world, close them down. Let's move. Everyone's saying let's move. Let's just the let's move the government to all the clean energy. We all know too down the history. China's not moving. And then won't be for years, if ever. Or if anything, moving up as yeah, far as they're, coal Because they're opening more coal, coal plants, right? That's correct. Yeah, so, China China's actually planning more coal additions by 2020 than the entire current U.S. fleet. So we create, a, we create these, uh, these energy, I guess, agreements and relationships. We say we're going to cut back in order to get rid of greenhouse emissions. But China is adding to it. Very much so. Yeah. So help us understand what what as a as a CEO of an energy company cooperative, how do we how do we handle this? What do we do? We can't it doesn't seem smart to just cut out the coal totally and gut the country because they can't afford it, right? We, coal coal's creating energy that's producing everything that's going on in the country. A large percentage. Yeah, coal today is about a lo- little over a third of the energy production in the, in America. In the West, it's probably even more intense in the in the in the Utah area, at least. Yeah. Talk so, about the so what's so what do we do? So if it's a third of the energy, couldn't we fairly quickly make it all of the no energy coming from coal? Well, that is happening. It's only been maybe five six years ago. It was half the energy. Really. So, it is happening. So the uh, the government uh, EPA has released this clean power plan, proposed clean power plan, and they have some targets to cut back by thirty percent 
by the year 2030. But interestingly, in the last about three years, we've actually cut 30 percent. Hmm. So the cuts are happening right now. People are already looking at alternatives. Are they forced cuts? I mean, is this just plants closing? Is What is this? I think part of it is people preparing for what they believe the future is going to hold. Mm. And part of it, frankly, is the very low cost of natural gas that's – Right now, that's booming. The result of the fracking. Mm-hmm. And I guess, I guess that will happen – if EPA is not creating restrictions, that keeps the gas flowing, which means we don't need to use coal. And gas, I guess, burns cleaner than coal, but not as clean as clean energy. Yeah, gas is a little bit less than one-half the carbon of coal. Uh, it tends to be slightly more expensive, but it's getting to a crossover point at this, hmm. at this juncture. What, uh, talk to us. What are, the, what are some of the misconceptions we have? Uh, the other day I drove a Tesla and I thought – Holy cow, you can't hear it. There's no noise pollution. It's just a bunch of batteries, but you have to charge them pretty regularly. They demand energy. Um, and right now in the West, that energy is coming from coal. Tell me, what are some of the misconceptions we have as we have this ever-increasing need for electricity, and yet we're all seemingly talking against coal? Well, speaking to the, to the electric car in, in specific – um, I think that you will see in the future electric cars will be very popular, I believe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, our company is actually talking about installing electric stations for charging uh, vehicles for employees. That would be smart, yeah. Yeah, so I think that is coming. The challenge they have, obviously, is is the distance that they have to be able to cover. And right. They're just not reliable. For 300 miles is about, I think, what you get at the best level. If you can trust that. Right, right. What, yeah, what if you're in the middle of the desert and you run out of – you run out of energy. Is it um, is is it feasible, really, that the that the coal industry could just be turned off in the next five years? No, that's not feasible. And in fact, I think that uh, most of the coal uh, energy providers are already planning on phasing out over time. I know Rocky Mountain Power in in Utah is saying that after twenty forty two, they will be completely out of coal. Will they really? I believe so. so 2042. 2042. So we're talking a little more than 20 years. And I think our situation, uh, we uh, would probably be more or less in that same time frame, probably in the 2040s phasing out. So it is happening already. Right. The uh, output will get uh, constrained back by natural forces. Uh, California is having an enormous uh, buildup of solar and wind, but especially solar. And that's causing midday uh, dips in mm. the supply requirements for the, the, the entire West, if yeah. you will. And uh, because of that, uh, we're finding that the need to dispatch the coal is a lot lower during the middle part of the day than it is in the afternoons and early mornings. Okay, interesting. So it's creating a new uh, a new dynamic. We call that the duck curve. Okay, now talk about it. So because California is making changes, they're getting kind of ramped up, it sounds like, more into um, solar technologies and solar energy use, but they're still drawing on energy from coal. That's correct. Upstream, I, mean, I guess. Yeah, they they would say they're not. Right. But as a matter of fact, the grid is the grid. The grid is the grid. And they're borrowing coal energy to supplement when theirs isn't producing. Now, of course, the, in, in Utah, uh, there are, let's see, IPP, Hunter, Huntington, uh, Bonanza are the major uh, coal-producing locations. 
and the IPP location is uh, largely slated for California. Hmm. They've already planned on closing that down in 2025. When that closes down, that will cut 40% of the Utah coal base all at once. Wow. Just that one that one cut. But speaking to the solar in California, um, solar energy has a very obvious problem, and that is it only works when the sun shines. Right, right. I actually like solar. I have solar on my rooftop at home, hmm. and uh, I think it's a great technology, but it's time-limited. And so it only works when the sun is up, and it only works well when the sun is high. And so if you look at the solar output across the, the, the West, the very best solar installations run about 24% of the time. Hmm. And 75% of the time, they're not running at all. So in order for California to get 50% of its energy, which is their goal, from renewables, mostly solar, they have to overbuild by a factor of at least two. Two times more. And the building of a solar panel takes a ton of energy and a ton of resources and a ton of petroleum to ship it and a ton of other energies to make it happen. And they tend to also get built in overseas. Not all, but uh, the predominant uh, manufacturer is East Asia for solar panels. Anyway, those uh, solar panels, uh, you have to get a a two-for-one in order to get the amount of energy out. Interesting. And so in the middle of the day, that's causing a sag in the output, and they actually expect they will have to curtail and shut off solar plants, if you will, or solar panels in order to not have the market or the total supply go negative. Interesting. They're already talking about pricing going negative during the middle of the day. And so now, if you look at the uh, history of of, uh, telecom, once upon a time, you paid very little for your phone and you paid a whole lot for long distance. Right. Today, you pay quite a bit for your phone and you pay nothing for long distance. That's the same kind of trend you'll see electrically. That instead of paying everything for your kilowatt hour and nothing for your demand – It'll flip to where everything goes on the demand and services mm. and the energy gets very inexpensive. And yet um, a point you brought up that I thought was interesting is every time they transfer energy, they lose energy, right? So when, when you're opening the grid and moving the grid and moving the energy around, you're losing, what, 25 percent of the energy as you move it down the line? Is that how it works? No, I, I wouldn't say it's in, anywhere near that level. Okay. No. Um, that that to me is not a major consideration. Okay, so you're not. That's not a problem either. No, I don't think that's a major consideration. In fact, if anything, it might even favor the solar because they're located closer to the to the load. So where does the future go? Where do we? Well, let's let's save the future question. We'll come back after the break to talk about it. But it does sound like to me, it you know, coal's days are numbered. Whether it's ten to twenty to thirty years, it's it's going to be phased out. Is is it? Oh, is there a way to clean it up so it doesn't have to be? Well, you know, we've already cleaned up coal uh, in terms of, of uh, particulate emissions, uh, nitrous oxides, uh, sulfur dioxide. The lingering problem is the carbon question. Yeah, and there's certainly those that are doubtful that the carbon is the is the issue that it portends to be. But as long as that's at least a political issue. Uh, carbon is extremely expensive to clean out of a of a supply, and it's also very problematic to store it. So I think most of the parties that actually currently own coal-fired electricity probably don't see investing in carbon capture mm. and sequestration. It's just 
yeah. at least in my view, it's too expensive. Yeah, and it's we're not there yet to do anything really with it. I, I don't believe so. I think that the the way to go is to let market forces market forces take their 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 direction. Hmm. We're speaking with Kimball Rasmussen. He is um, the CEO of Utah-based Deseret Power Electric Cooperative, providing uh, electricity to a lot of towns here in Utah, and. Um, giving us some insight into some of these questions when we say just close the coal mine just close the coal users down keep everything clean it's uh when you say that you're impacting a lot of lives and you're also impacting or you're you're assuming and making a lot of assumptions about uh, the industry and other factors that may not we may not be as in tune with so stick with us we'll come back continue the discussion also talk about the future what should we do how do we move it forward Uh, to create a healthier environment for our children and yet uh, take care of the people that are in these coal mining areas. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. We'll be right back. back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're taking on energy and uh, some of the backlash, it seems like, with Hillary Clinton versus Trump. Trump was able to talk to the Rust Belt. Some of these smaller, I mean, kind of more um, blue-collared workers impacted by a lot of the changes that have come from government over the years. And uh, she made a, a comment about shutting down the mining industry in West Virginia, which I think was symbolic of the disconnect. And so joining us is Kimball Rasmussen. He's CEO of Utah-based Deseret Power Electric Cooperative, and they own about 223 miles of transmission lines. Uh, they own, um, they, they generate a lot of energy. They use coal to generate that energy for a lot of um, different communities here in the Midwest. But it's he brings some really interesting insight. Sure, we want it to be clean. We want it to be um, environmentally healthier for our family, for our descendants. And simultaneously, we have this weird urban versus big city world going on, uh, which many would say even relates to kind of like the Hunger Games view of life, where the big city uses tons of energy and then the urban areas are the ones where we're creating it and then bringing it in. And yet let's just cut coal, which means we cut urban or we cut uh, kind of the rural areas, their income streams. We, I mean, we would close – if we got rid of all coal right now, we would close a lot of towns. We'd close a lot of states. Yes, uh, Craig, Colorado, Rangeley, Colorado, uh, down by uh, you know Carbon County, Utah, Emory County – Lots of places would be severely impacted by some something like that. For and sure. then someone's like, well, let's just do more nuclear. And everyone's like, what? None of that. None of that. Uh, solar, wind seem to be very popular. Um, talk, though, to us about this the rural-urban phenomenon that you see happening. Big cities needing more energy, but depending on smaller rural towns to be the creators of it. Yeah, I think that really uh, the, the recent election of Donald Trump, I think much of that was 
an urban versus rural question. Yeah. If you look at a map of America and look at the red and the blue areas, it's just as far as land mass, it's just dominated by the red interests, if you will, it, which are pro-coal. And the blue obviously is more anti-coal and, yeah. and they're scattering but they're but they're the high uh, concentration of population. And it seems like though it, that when the government did act under Obama, cuts were made very aggressively and quickly. Even though the cuts were I guess could have taken longer, people started moving faster on the cuts and it did get coal down to about a third of the energy. Yeah, we're getting there on our own. Yeah. And I think a lot of market forces are making that happen. What we would suggest is that let the market be the market. Mm-hmm. If, if uh, other resources can compete without subsidies, let them compete. And, and that will be the most uh, intelligent uh, approach for all consumers. Because if you know as the CEO that you've only got 20 more years of this, as a, as a CEO, you're going to have to start figuring out a way to create different energy, find different sources. Um, you're saying – the government shouldn't be stepping in to force that hand. You're going to do it naturally by market forces, market economy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, my view of, of the, the mid-2020s in uh, the western United States is that we will have a lot of solar energy available during the middle of the day. The challenge will be what do you do with an abundance of uh, energy at noon mm-hmm. and a lack of energy in the afternoon. And you can't store it. Because storage is still questionable how we do that. Yeah, storage is very expensive. Uh, the Union of Concerned Scientists actually did a study looking at the 2025 timeframe, and they show just a sliver of storage. You'd think that it's more pronounced than that, but it really is not. Hmm. And even the Tesla wall that you hear so much about, underneath that wall is a Panasonic battery. And so it isn't so much that the battery technology has changed all that much. It's more how it's packaged. Hmm. But fundamentally, storage is expensive and and very difficult. It probably adds something like $0.10 a kilowatt hour to your energy charge. And most people pay about, in the West anyway, $0.10 or so per kilowatt hour for their end use. Hmm. So it would at least – storage would at least double your your utility bill. So are you – one of the things – are you saying with the duck curve is that – in the middle of the day, it's going to get – it'll be free energy. But when you want night energy, night electricity, you're going to pay a premium. That's when you'll pay. So you have to have the storage to soak up that middle of the day production and then push it out to the shoulder periods when it's more needed. Right. But to have storage, you'll pay double or triple anyway. Or you could leave online other sources of energy that could, with a flip of a switch, be turned on at night. Yeah, and the challenge with coal plants is they weren't designed to cycle on and off all the way to zero on a daily basis. Mm. And so what we'll be forced into doing is uh, literally shutting down the coal plant uh, during probably uh, three, four months out of the year when you don't have enough demand to really support it. Mm. And that's going to cause other kinds of market dislocations. Well, yeah, it seems like all of a sudden then – why would I want to – I mean every kid's already maybe leaving these small coal towns to go find a job in the big city. Why would I really want to stick around if I've only got employment eight days, eight months a year? Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll find ways. Um, in, in our case, uh, I would expect that we would do a lot of our uh, maintenance during those down periods that right now mm-hmm. we're struggling to find ways to – Time to do it. Time to do it. 
and we have been bringing in contractors, we'll do that work ourselves. So there's ways to make the employment question work for the people that are there right now. But it's it's going to be different. That's hmm. for sure. Do you – when you see um, people claiming like Hillary Clinton claiming that this is going to produce so many jobs, million, two million jobs in the clean energy world, what do you think of that? Well, you know, back in uh, 2008 uh, when Barack Obama was first uh, coming onto the – into the scene, the picture, he promised five million uh, new green jobs. Hmm. And I got pretty curious about that, so I did some research. Yeah. And uh, there's this model out there called the JEDI model, which is, stands for the Jobs and Economic Development Impact Model. It was prepared by a joint effort of the Department of Energy and the National Renewable Energy Laboratory, NREL. And in the JEDI model, they actually calculated 6.2 million jobs. But the way they got there is if some if they had a, a team that went out and installed a wind farm in Minnesota, that was a job. Hmm. But the wind farm might only take one season to yeah, build. Right. Then that same team moves to North Dakota and that's one more job. Oh. And they sat there and just added those up over a twenty year horizon and, and the sum of the total yeah. came out to six million. So they should have divided that by forty hours and said, Oh, that's one job. Those weren't permanent. Right. Full-time equivalent jobs. Interesting. The other very interesting thing about the study is that about two-thirds of the jobs were what they call induced or indirect. And what that means is if, I, uh, if I'm a coal guy and I come in and talk to the Matt Townsend show, yeah. then you're part of the black economy. But if, I, if I'm a wind guy and I come in for an interview, all of a sudden I'm you part become part of the green economy. And didn't even know it. Yeah. And so that's what they call an induced job impact. Or if I'm running a hamburger stand, oh, somebody yeah. comes in and buys a hamburger, but they happen to be installing wind turbines, then that hamburger stand for that instance now it's a green job. is a green job. Oh, man. Instead, instead of a brown cow, it's now a green cow. Okay. See, so, Kimball, this is, I think, the problem. We And it, it, this just seems like every business. So this isn't coal and government. But – we we can't hist- we felt like we couldn't historically just trust the coal companies and the providers and the energy companies because they're just there to make money, we think. So government has to step in and then start mandating, and then we start mandating green, right? Let me talk to that. Yeah, do that's very interesting because if you go back to 1978, uh, who was in the White House in 78? Was it Ford? Jimmy Carter. Oh, Cork. That's, that's the whole energy crisis. Exactly. And in the Carter administration, they passed what's called the Fuel Use Act. The Fuel Use Act said you cannot and you will not use natural gas to produce electricity. It was illegal. And they further came out and said it's patriotic to go out and build coal. Yeah. And so the coal plants that were built in the West, almost all those plants were built after that 1978 era. By Carter. By Carter. A Carter Act. And yeah. we were essentially told to go out and build coal. It was not a for-profit motive. We would have been happy to have built gas or nuclear or whatever other resource made sense. Interesting. But coal was the mandate that came from the federal government. Now it's that very same government that's coming out and saying, why are you doing coal? Right. Don't do coal. Are they saying go to gas? Uh, you know, it's funny or now because are they saying go just to the clean. next campaign they call beyond gas or beyond coal means attack gas. 
So you can do you could do a gas unit today. Today's gas unit is tomorrow's right. attack. Right. Well, we, especially because now we're seeing fracking issues in Oklahoma. and But then I bring in the experts to talk about fracking, and they're like, we knew about it. This isn't a surprise. They, they know what's yeah. happening there. But it, it's creating cheap natural gas. But now we don't want natural gas. We don't want fracking. Is the point – maybe your I guess your point, the government should just – Stay out and let businesses run the market. They can create a guideline like we're going to be coal free by 2040. Yeah, I mean, I think there are ways that we could work with government to do the right thing. But when it, when it gets so polarized and so politicized is where it gets just unbearable and impossible. And I think that's really what happened in this last election. Yeah. Was that the undercurrent finally said enough is enough and it stood up and voted. So we can – it, again, what's keeping you as a as a CEO of a of a power industry, you know, provider? What's getting what? It was a legislation. It was a treaty. Was wasn't it something that got you to say we got to be done? This the, the market economy. It's not going to work with coal within fifteen years. Something's moving you. Was well, it government mandate? You know, our company actually um, did a settlement if you will, with the EPA and uh, the Sierra Club and others, and we're planning on phasing out of coal. Hmm. We've, we've agreed to that. And I think that's uh, the, the kind of template that might make sense is that have a plan. Mm-hmm. Have a plan that takes you down the road. Now, in our plan, uh, we, we limit the total number of tons that we will ever burn through our major power plant. And so that, mean, that means we limited the amount of carbon. And that's the goal. But what we didn't do was agree to when we would burn those tons. Okay. You, you, but it was, it was your cooperative working with other players and then coming to a unified agreement. That's exactly what we did. That's and so, powerful. And so by doing that, uh, what we na- now can look at is our coal plant is now essentially a call option. Yeah. And so we can evaluate that against solar, against yeah. wind, against gas, against whatever else is out there and take the best of all worlds and try to optimize the uh, the cost for our consumers. So but that's that that to me sounds like responsible community building, which is probably the difference of a co-op versus um I don't know, every other player in the game that is being forced to man, be mandated. That's exactly right. I mean, we're we're an electric cooperative, which means that we are governed, owned, controlled by our members. And we're not uh, profit motivated. We're we're bottom line member motivated. Cool. So we're trying to keep the cost down as low as we can. This is not a profit motive. It's a cost motive. And we're trying to, to maximize the resource while at the same time being environmentally responsible. Love it. Give us, as we wrap it up, we've got about a one minute left. What what advice would you give to the rest of us when it comes to, to listening to this? Whether it's we want you know wanting to do the best for Mother Nature and be environmentally sound and safe and have a future for our children and still make sure we take care of everyone else in the country that is dependent on these sources of income. Well, I guess my concern would be that we don't do something rash that uh, further erodes our job base in America. I think that what we've done as a country is remarkable. We should not be apologetic about about our progress as a country. And if we do things radical 
to the energy sector, which is the engine of our manufacturing capability and everything we do in America, we're going to lose our position. Mm. If we do that, the rest of the world will fill the vacuum, and they will not be as clean and responsible as we are. Yeah. I mean, we're we're getting, like the example you gave, we're getting solar panels from Asia, China, and they're building them with coal. Yeah. They're they're using right. the energy to to generate those and send them here. So yeah, you're just saying be smart. And when when China builds a coal unit, if they do have environmental controls on it, they don't even run the controls. Yeah. So their their environmental stewardship is way way below what we That's run right. our our and, units. And it also sounds like we can we can still be better stewards. And there's some companies that are the for profits that probably need to be a better steward as well. I think so. That's great. Well, they ought to, they ought to hire you, Kimball. Kimball Rasmussen's his name. Again, um, honored to have him here. He's CEO of Utah-based Deseret Power Electric Cooperative. A different way of thinking it, uh, thinking about it. Maybe you don't need to be a for-profit entity to, uh, to, to, you know, get this done. Maybe what we need is to create more cooperative energy management. Powerful stuff, folks. Another uh, example of the good in the world. We'll take a break, come back, wrap up uh, the show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, You know... Again, cooperation, cooperation, cooperation. And now that we see it with uh, Trump winning, it's so easy to vilify. It's so easy to buy, you know, to bifurcate and to to make every argument binary, good, bad, right, wrong. Yes, no, up, down. Don't fall prey to that. Let's let's reject the idea that there's only two ways to create a healthier environment. It's not just green or coal. The reality is for a while, for the next 20 years or so, it might need to be both. And let's be real about that. And let's not villainize those that are in the coal industry. Let's not villainize those and deny those that uh, have other evidence about, um, you know, greenhouse emissions. The reality is we don't need to lie to each other to get our point across. We could actually learn to cooperate. And if uh, we could be more cooperative, some amazing things can happen. One final quote by Robert uh, Mugabe says, Cooperation and respect for each other will advance the cause of human rights worldwide. Confrontation, vilification, and double standards will not. And I think we are seeing a backlash of that. And it's not we still have to unify. We have to get everyone together by cooperating. It's our world. It's our country. Let's do it. We'll take a break. Be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Hour number two of the program. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Man, oh man, we got a lot to talk about. It is Mickey Mouse Day. So relax. 
I don't remember the song. Huh. I didn't know it was What a Mouse. I thought it was something else. Wow. That's that's Wowzers. Mickey Mouse was originally dreamed up by UB, UBI Works. Apparently. That's weird. Yeah. And Walt Disney in 1928. And from that first short film has risen to be a worldwide recognized icon. How cool is that? And now a platinum rapper. This would be mini, though, so. Oh, cute. Minnie is so devoted. Yes. I mean, I've seen a lot of mice in my day. Never any as devoted as these two. That's a great lesson for all of us in marriage. If he would just pop the question. I, I mean, know. all this time, just he, letting her just Yeah. He has the... commitment issues. Is that what it is? Yeah. All right. Yeah. You would, too, if you could get trapped at any minute. Uh, it's also Use Less Stuff Day. Mm. It's time to just quit uh, playing the song. Consuming. Oh. It's not about more, 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 more. Remember that through the holidays. We don't always have I thought, to. I thought it was a contest. No. How much can you consume by Christmas? No, that's just the dinner at Thanksgiving. Yes, consume. Oh, okay. But. You know, Black Friday, you don't need to go crazy. You could support local vendors. I'm not saying don't support people, but mm. it's at some point, okay. use less stuff. You know, there are some of these stores that will give you the same sales online. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. you don't have to leave your couch. Yeah. But see, but then... And they may give you free but shipping. But then you're going to consume more gas. No. No. Doing no. what? My car will sit in the driveway like the entire weekend, and we got all all of our Christmas shopping done. I guess I'm thinking more shipping gas. They'll have to ship it to you. But you don't know about it, so it doesn't actually exist. Okay, that's a good point. There you go. Because it wasn't you consuming it. It was UPS, and for all we know, UPS might be on strike. Cost of doing business. Mm -hmm. There you go. They won't be on strike. Problem solved. They're not going to be on strike because it's after the news. And it's just the mechanics. we got so much to talk about, too. Uh We'll get into the fact that a New Jersey motorcyclist hit 165 miles an hour in a police chase. Congratulations. Yeah. And a man claiming to be um, a vampire. Hmm. Also, he also claimed to be Jack Sparrow, Captain Jack Sparrow, robbed a uh, a grocery store. We'll get into that craziness. Plus, um, of course, just more fun about turkeys. We're going to find out, you know... Turkey facts. Turkey facts. Things you didn't know about a turkey. And I hope whatever it is, it doesn't make us ruin the whole turkey day. No, it's more like, you know, how many turkeys are sold okay. and all that kind of stuff. Because I don't want to know anything particular yeah, about Yeah, no, 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 no. It's hard to eat something you know too much about. Plus, we still have two minutes left of this song. So, okay, take if your you time. would turn it off, then yes. we could get to the uh, just another along. just little important point. You say turn it up? Off. I said off. Oh, okay. Sorry. Off. Yeah, that'd be off. Just go to your happy place. That song. Yeah. It's amazing how Jeff can pull out that one song that just starts to get you. It's talent. Emotionally it gets you? Yeah. Starts to rock me. By the way, Rachel Cruz will be joining us. She has got a new book out, Seven Money Habits for Living the Life You Want. Your goal is to love your life, not everyone else's life. So you got to learn how to financially create the life you want to have. And uh, powerful um, 
powerful ideas, I think, coming up on that. By the way, Rachel Cruz is the daughter of Dave Ramsey, the the great uh, financial guru, David Ramsey. So we're honored to have her on the show. She'll be here in just a few moments, and we'll be talking about some of those uh, simple tools and rules to love your life, not theirs. And then, of course, we'll get through a lot of other news headlines, some of which you might even want to know about. But first, let's get to the headlines you need to know about with Sadie Nielsen. Sadie, what's going on around the rest of the country? Americans looking to flee the United States after Donald Trump's surprise Election Day victory have a home in London, the city's mayor said Wednesday. Millions of people, I'm told, used Google search engine after Election Day on Tuesday, and we know millions use it every single day, London Mayor Sadiq Khan said. I heard one of the most Googled things since Wednesday is, how do you immigrate? If talented people based in the U.S. want to come here to London, my message is simple. London is open. Khan is London's first Muslim mayor and has long been an outspoken critic of Donald Trump. China clarified Wednesday that it definitely didn't invent the concept of climate change in order to trick the United States, a change that had has previously been leveled against the nation by President-elect Donald Trump in a tweet November 6th of 2016. China's vice foreign minister said that curbing emissions and using cleaner technologies and manufacturing techniques could actually boost U.S. production. That's why I hope the Republicans' administration will continue to support this process, he said. The St. Paul, Minnesota County Attorney's Office announced Wednesday that the police officer who shot and killed Philando Castile would face charges. The officer shot and killed Castile, an, un- an unarmed black man, on July 6th after stopping Castile and his girlfriend for a broken taillight. He will face one count of second-degree manslaughter and two felony counts of dis- dangerous discharge of a firearm. And finally... Um, we have a little story here from Travel Lodge. Oh boy, what, what? Um, these are just, it's just a little story I picked up. It's some of the weirdest requests that Travel Lodge has received. Um, here are some of them. A younger guest asked what time the Tooth Fairy was visiting. A man wanting, wanted to have bagpipes as a wake-up call. And someone else wanted philosophy books placed at the end of their bed to look like home. Uh, some of the other requests have been downright crazy, like hmm. a guest in Oxford wanting a circular quilt or one in Coventry who asked for a white stallion to take him to his wedding ceremony. Wow. Uh, equally crazy was another man who asked to find a unicorn to carry his engagement ring to his girlfriend. Um, a travel lodge spokeswoman said, where possible, the hotel teams goes above and beyond to help customers. However, there are some requests they just can't help with. Did, did they find a unicorn? Yeah, finish the story. Um. I don't believe they did. Oh, okay. That was the problem. They're all in North uh, North Korea. Yeah. The spokeswoman said, we did not find any unicorns and we were not willing to um, did, change a horse's did <laughs> yeah. want, anatomy to make that. Did he want the ring delivered on the horn or would that just oh, be that too obvious? Oh, that would be so romantic. He to be spinning. It, yeah, oh, okay. spinning on the didn't, ring. I don't know if that would be too obvious, just on the unicorn's horn. North Korea. They have. Apparently. They found a lair. Of where are the unicorns? A live. unicorn lair. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The they most, found a lot of stuff. The most honorable leader, right, is the one who uh, controls that lair. So. Well, and they have magical powers because apparently that leader does not go to the restroom. <laughs> Just so you know, that's what happens when you have unicorns in the you know neighborhood. Life is good. Thank you, Sadie, uh, for your insight. This just in, 
Um, we were telling the story about Mickey Mouse Day, and originally it was created by Ubworks, Ub Iwerks, Ub Iwerks. Hmm. We were corrected. And Walt Disney in 1929, not UB Iwerks. Was that Don? That was Don. Yeah, apparently he knows. Don's brain is like Wikipedia. In fact, oh. we may start calling um, it Donopedia. It's all full of stuff. Seriously. Ub Iwerks. All right. It's kind of a weird name for 1928. Yeah. It's more of a dot-com yeah. sort of feel to it, but that's fine. Yeah. It seems like very modern. Yeah. See it on some building that will soon be empty on the side of the freeway. Mm-hmm. And they spelled Iwerks with an E. I-W-E-R-K-S. Iwerks. It's very modern. <laughs> anyway. Um, I'm going to name our child Ub. Ub. By the way. Really? It's a good name. Yeah. It's a good name. Ub. Is Ub. that for a male or a female? Yes. Gender neutral. Excellent. Uh, New Jersey motorcyclist accused of hitting 165 miles an hour in a police chase. What's the fastest you've ever gone, Terry? I think I went over 100 miles an hour in a Ford Escort. Wow, but it felt so that felt like 200 miles an hour. About the 100 mile an hour mark, the car shakes, the doors feel like they're going to fall off, and yeah. then it's like you push through that whatever speed barrier, and it's fine. Very smooth after 100 miles an hour. Jeffrey, fastest you've ever gone? Ooh, probably 100. Not to brag, 120. What? In a Corvette with nitrous oxide. I thought you were going to say it was in a Tesla and you weren't at the wheel. The Tesla, I went 0 to 60 in as fast as you can do that, like three or four seconds. Yeah. But then we had a stop sign that we had to really quickly stop for. And then the brakes were dead and they had to yeah. get a tow truck. so awesome. So check this out. The motorcyclist from New Jersey fled New York State Police at speeds of more than 165 miles an hour, was arrested after stopping for gas on Saturday morning, authorities said. Kevin O'Donnell, 20, refused to stop when troopers tried to pull him over at 10.18 a.m. As he raced northbound on New York State Thruway, State Police said uh, in the news release he was taken into custody at a gas station when his 2006 Suzuki motorcycle got low on fuel. That's the problem. Yep. When you go 165 miles an hour, it just consumes fuel like crazy. So what's the rule? Always fill her up before you try to outrun state troopers. How many times have I told you that, Jeffrey? All right, I'll listen. In your Solara. Is that the name of your car? Yes. It's hot. Totally hot. Uh, another fun story, I guess, for you. Um a man claiming to be a vampire. This is a weird story. A New Hampshire man is under arrest after allegedly assaulting uh, grocery store employees early Tuesday morning. Police say a female employee was taking uh, boxes out to the dumpster when a man approached her asking if she needed help. The man... Whom police identified as 21-year-old Jacob May, then allegedly claimed he was a vampire and began running towards her. Following her, she ran inside the store yelling for help. The female told police uh, that May yelled, just touch me, I can save you. Wow. 
May allegedly wrapped his arms around her when she fell to the ground. Police say May then attacked another employee who tried to fight him off. Police arrived short time later. May allegedly told responding officer that he was a vampire, a ghost rider, Captain Jack Sparrow of the Pirates of the Caribbean, Mr. Miyagi from the Karate Kid, and a leader of a band. Said he was ghost rider? Yeah. Wow. You know who ghost rider is? No. He's a Marvel comic book sort of... Yeah. Not villain, not hero, but he has a flaming skull, so that's kind of cool. Well, so we know this guy's messed up. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Police identified May as a suspect from a home invasion that occurred two days prior. Captain Jack Sparrow. So which of those characters should he lead with, do you think? Uh, we're leading with Captain Jack Sparrow. That's the one you yeah. you approve of the most? Oh, and the crowd's approved. You okay. win the award for the most dramatic reading of a news story. It's good. Today. Thank you very much, Captain Jack. I'd like to thank the Academy and all of the little people that helped me with this. Uh, I did not know that about Ghost Rider. Yes. He also, by the way, is Mr. Miyagi yeah. from The Karate Kid. He, he calms himself with That's a throwback. Bon, bonsai. Mm. Wax on, wax off, yeah. right? Those Sweep the leg. Oh, no, that was the other that guy. Was the that was the Cobra Kai. Yeah. A little different. Sorry. <laughs> The mere fact that you know all of these quotes yeah. and the name Cobra Kai. Cobra Kai. Well, Jeff knows it too. It's not just me. I'm going to pretend like I don't, though. <laughs> okay. Here's your challenge for the rest of the show. I would love you both to use the name Cobra Kai yes. in the show in the next 40 minutes. But okay. it must in some way have context. Hmm. In, in the Karate Kid... The uh, evil dojo was the Cobra Kai dojo. So okay. I did it. Well, well, no, you don't do it right the second. So you oh, got to bring it in but sometime. I'll, f- I'll forget. I know. That's the trick. Um, you know, just I, looking out the window, I, there was a snake that was slithering by. It was actually, I think it was a cobra. Um, his name might have been Kai. Does that count? You're both you're both jumping the gun. We're supposed to do this sometime in the next forty minutes, not in the does very your, next does second. Your, does your wife ever say, "Remind me"? Oh yeah, right. So what I do is I count to five and then immediately remind her. See, she gets mad, and that's why she calls me. But then I'm off and the then hook. Then we right? have to talk about you for an hour. I don't have to deal with that anymore. Let, let me explain something. Within the next forty minutes, yeah. Uh, within. 40 seconds falls within that for those 40 minutes. No, but it's from when I say go. I don't recall hearing that. I thought that was the given standard. So I haven't said go yet. So from when I say go, you have to use Cobra Kai sometime in the next 38 minutes. You just said go again. I haven't said go yet. When I say go. You just said it. When I say, on your mark, get set, go. You just said that. (sighs) Honestly. Hey, up next, Rachel Cruz will be joining us talking about her new book, Love Your Life, Not Theirs, Seven Money Habits for Living the Life You Want. We're going to get into uh, finding your life and financial strength. But first, on your mark, get set, go. We'll be right back.
When we look at everyone else's lives, we might think to ourselves, man, why is everything in my life such a mess? We look at their bigger house, their nicer car, and put together family, their family pictures, everyone's smiling and perfect. And then we put ourselves down for not being more like them. Their life looks so good, but hidden beneath the glossy exterior are probably credit card bills, student loans, car payments, and out-of-the-control mortgage. Everything doesn't always seem as it appears. Are we really living the lives we want, or are we chasing someone else's dream just to keep up appearances on social media, at church, and in our community. Joining us is Rachel Cruz, author of the book, Love Your Life, Not Theirs. She's here today to uh, teach us about how to, to, uh, to manage our dreams, our, our goals, and our finances in a way that, uh, that might actually bring us some peace of mind. Rachel Cruz, thank you so much for being with us today. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. You bet. We love um, we love your your dad as well on the show. I always suggest to people that they go listen to Dave Ramsey. It's got to be it's got to be an interesting thing growing up in Dave Ramsey household um, <laughs> because there there is there's got to be a lot of pressure on you to to maybe struggle or have to go figure out how to love your life, not theirs. Yes. Well, it's funny. I think people assume growing up as Dave Ramsey's kid that we had, like, mutual fund parties and, like, budget camps. And, like, Credit card cutting like parties. That. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, where everything is, like, money-focused. And thankfully, that that's not the case. And mom and dad really did a good job balancing, you know, this idea of teaching us how money works, but letting us really figure it out and make our own mistakes, you know, really under their roof growing mm. up. And so for that, I really am thankful. But, yeah, that does not mean I'm, <laughs> I'm immune to money mistakes or the struggle of comparisons. And, right. You know, my the topic of my whole new book was is all about, you know, figuring out, okay, how do you love your life and not everyone else's? And it's something that I do, I struggle with, for sure. And so I think it's something a lot of people can relate to, though. Yeah, and you've written two books. Uh, this is your second book, Love Your Life, Not Theirs. And then your other book was Smart Money, Smart Kids. It's it seems like comparison, uh, it's always there, it's, and whether it's around money, but it, it seems like on social media and the impact of social media, it's so much more prevalent. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, keeping up with the Joneses 10 years ago, you actually had to see the Joneses in person right. to do that. You know, you had to see them at church or they're your neighbors, uh, where today we carry them around in our back pockets on our phones. And it can be very dangerous because... What you put on social media most of the time is, is your best foot forward, right? It ends up being everyone's highlight reel. It's the vacations, right. the new cars, the great house, uh, the going out to dinner, you know, that kind of thing. And so when you start comparing your life to that, you're really comparing your life to make-believe because not everyone's life is that perfect 24-7. And like you said kind of in the intro, it's true that you don't know what's behind that. You don't know the credit card bills that are following that vacation, or you don't know the second mortgage that was taken out on the house to redo that kitchen. I mean, you, you know, you just don't know people's situations. And so you have to stop comparing yourself to make believe. Mm. It seems like that as part of the premise of your book, uh, love your life, not theirs, you really have to know what your life is about. And, Absolutely. and many of us sure. don't spend that time to figure that out. That's right. And that's part of the, you know, the journey of this is, is, you know, when I talk about money and the book is heavily focused on money, but money is never just about money. You know, it ends up being about your goals in life, your dreams, your fears, what you value. And the beautiful thing about life is you get to decide that. You get to decide, hey, what does our family value? What do we want to do with our lives? And you let money be a tool in order to get you there. But, yeah, you're exactly right where you have to figure out where are you going? You know, what are your goals in life? What do you want to be doing? 
And again, letting money assist you in that. Mm. How do we how do we stop it? How do you stop the comparing and the comparison? Oh gosh, it's a it's an uphill battle for yeah. sure, and it's uh, it, it is difficult. But for me, one thing you know, as I look at this, the comparison issue really is a heart issue. And when you when you look at comparison, you know, it not only steals your joy, but it does end up stealing your paycheck because you do spend money that you may or may not have to try to keep up a lifestyle that you think everyone else is living and you're missing out on. And so it can be dangerous to our checking accounts, but also to our heart. And so really figuring out, okay, how do we really quit the comparisons? And for me, um, honestly, one word has, has helped me with this, and that's the word gratitude, mm. being grateful for what you have, because in a heart that's filled with gratitude, there is no room for discontentment and comparisons. And so really focusing on that and laying that as a really strong foundation in your life, because out of gratitude really does come contentment, um, which is the heart issue of this, but, but it really is important to build that solid foundation so you can build other good money habits upon that. Talk about, because uh, you have a daughter, right? You have a dog. Yes. <laughs> you have yes. a husband. I mean, in reality, it's if if I can love my life, that what that means is I love my spouse more, my child more, my dog more. I mean, this is about really being happy. It is, and, and it is all about you know figuring out. Okay, this is. This is the life that I have, and learning to be grateful for that. And no, not everything's perfect. Marriage right. isn't always perfect. You know, raising kids isn't always perfect. Um, but really, under you know, being content in the present and where you are, and look up and say, okay, the job I have, you know, the the relationship I'm in, uh, my pets, even you know, I, I mean, your kids, whatever it is in your life, to look and be like, you know, what? I'm grateful for these things, and really learn to be content in it. And and contentment is not apathy or laziness. You can still be working hard and driving towards something and be content. But contentment really is a state of your heart where you're at peace and and you really are uh, thankful for what you have right now in the present. And, And that is so key because people that are content I believe, live more joyous lives. They have Mm. better quality relationships. I mean, so much comes out of this part of our lives of contentment. So it is a key part of not only um, winning with money, but I think winning with life. Mm, So true. I mean, again, why why would I ever be blessed with more if I'm not happy with what I've been given? Absolutely. That's exactly right. I guess that's, really, that's it, though. That's, we, we think we create it, and, and many times and we overlook the fact that a lot of this is just blessing. It's just good blessings. It is. And being able to manage those well. Right. Um, you know, because if you can't manage the little, you're not going to be able to manage a lot. And part of my hope and, and, and prayer for people is that they do win with money, and not just for the sake of just gaining a bunch of wealth, but to be able to help others in that outpouring uh, within your community and your family. And so uh, it's going to be hard to, to manage money well when you can't do it with, say, you have a little bit of money right now. If you're not managing that well, then you're not going to be able to manage a lot well either. And so really focusing on managing what you have in the present and doing that at the best of your ability. Mm. Give us some of your rules. I know you have seven money habits for living the life we want. What are uh, some of those habits? One of them is steering clear of debt, uh, which a lot of people cringe when I say this, but it, it is a reality that my friend Chris Hogan says that debt is a thief. It not only steals your income from you, but it steals your peace of mind. It mm. steals your sleep at night. 
And so what ends up happening is not only, you know, does it steal your paycheck, but gosh, you know, so much around you uh, that the stress and the worry are really heightened when debt is in the picture and you owe someone something. And so I'm a big believer in living within your means uh, and, and having that ability to say no to things in the present when you don't have the money, but to save up and, and to still have that as a goal and to get it later 100%, but not depending on the credit card or the car loan to get you through life because mm. Mathematically speaking, I mean, it is. It steals your income from you, and it's hard to build wealth when debt is a part of your life. Is there some debt that you're okay with, some debt that that actually pays off? A mortgage is the one type of debt I'm, I'm okay with. I won't yell at you for. Good, <laughs> but, good. But, I, but there are some perimeters around it. I mean, I, I like a 15-year fixed-rate mortgage. Make sure your, your uh, monthly payment is no more than 25% of your take-home pay. I mean, I do have some guidelines in place for that. But everything else from a car loan, credit cards, even student loans, yeah, I'm 100% against, which is very radical, I know. But I've just learned, you know, that that the borrower is slave to the lender, it says in Proverbs. And I believe that, that when you owe someone something, your choices are limited, your options are limited, what to do with your money, because it's going right back out the door to Visa and MasterCard and Sally Mae. And and to be able to, to say, gosh, if your income comes in and you get the option to choose what to do with all of it, that puts the power back in your hands to say, okay, I get to choose what to do with it. Whether I choose to spend it, invest it, give it away, but you're making that option in your life and your car payment isn't dictating that for you. Mm. Oh, it's so hard, isn't it? Because people want the car, they want the home. And I, I've even seen it with my kids. Want They want things that they don't even know how to earn. And I yeah. and it's you're like, first, let's learn to earn. Then let's learn to save. Then you can have the things. But it's almost we we put it in reverse order. Yeah, and that's an important lesson for for parents to hear because I think you're exactly right. Really starting to teach your kids the value of a dollar, which is kind of an old school principle. But gosh, all they see you is swiping that magic card that you know somehow gets you whatever you want is what they're seeing. And to be able to say no, like we have to work for this and let them work and earn some money around the house and things. Because once they earn money. They, they give it differently. They save it differently. They spend it differently. And letting them go through that emotions, I mean, what a gift to give your 6, 7, 8-year-old, 13-year-old while they're under your roof that they're able to, to implement these principles so when they go off on their own, they know what they're doing. And so, yeah, I think you're exactly right. There's a, a generation that I hope is not forgotten in this and that parents really will step in and teach their kids this. It's great advice. Uh, because yeah, and, and as a parent, you know, with you winning with money and creating good money habits, my prayer is that you do have a legacy to pass on to your kids, and you want them to not become the next reality TV star, right? And like right. know it all, uh, but to really handle it well and continue to change your family tree. Oh, it's such good advice. Let's take a break with you, Rachel. We'll be back. Um, I know we got to get you out by seven forty-five, so we'll we'll take a break. Come back, get some more money habits from Rachel Cruz and her book, "Love Your Life, Not Theirs: Seven Money Habits for Living the Life You Want." Powerful learning, folks. Money, it's it's a major source of identity, but it also should be, a, uh, you know, something that we're in control of, not chasing the rest of our lives. Stick with us. We'll be back.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. The name of the book, Love Your Life, Not Theirs, Seven Money Habits for Living the Life You Want, uh, written by Rachel Cruz, who's joining us today. She's the daughter of Dave Ramsey, but the author of two books, and uh, she joined Ramsey Solutions in 2010. She, by the way, at the age of 15, spoke to 10,000-plus people in and, and began her speaking career. She's been at this a very, very long time, and we're so honored to have you on the on the show, Rachel. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me on. This is great. And it's cool mission, uh, really. You're, you you want to change lives. You want to educate families and and people to to love their life, uh, not just covet everyone else's life. What are some more money habits that we could be paying attention to? A really important one that a lot of people don't implement in their lives on a daily basis because it is it can be hard uh, is to make a plan for your money. And what that really is is a budget. Now, don't people probably are turning <laughs> off the radio now because I said the B word. <laughs> yeah. I know people cringe at it. But really, in order to win with money, you have to be intentional. You have to tell your money where to go. And so that's a budget is really planning out where is my money going to go. And I, and I recommend people doing a monthly budget before the month begins. So looking ahead and saying, you know, for December, for instance, which can be a little tricky because of Christmas and all that, but, but looking ahead and say, okay, this is what we're going to make in December, and here is everything that we're going to spend money on in December, and giving every dollar a name and really being focused and, and intentional about this because it's so easy for people to go through their life, you know, and look up. Even now, you could look back on the last year or two of your life and be like, okay, I made X amount of money. Right. Where is it? You know, where did it all go? And, and it's so easy to go through life like that. And so in order to win, though, and, and take control of your money and to get out of debt like we were talking about before and living debt-free – a budget has to be a part of your life. And you, and budget in marriage is, you know, in my world, that is the number one fight, right? So it's because it becomes a lot about power, control. We make accusations. How do we sit down and, and form that budget if we've never done it before? Well, as a couple, and, and you know this well, but the idea that opposites attract, and this is going to be true with your money. So one of you is probably a spender. One of you is probably a saver. One of you probably is going to enjoy doing a budget and <laughs> feeling control and good. The other one is probably the free spirit that's like, oh, I don't want to do a budget. Uh, and my husband and I are that exact way. I'm actually the free spirit, which is funny that I talk about <laughs> money on a daily basis, but I am naturally a spender and not good at details, and he's the saver and more you know, militant about what we have. And so, yeah, it can – you're exactly right. It can be very tensioned. Um, in those meetings. But it's amazing that I found with couples, when you sit down and do a budget together and you're respectful and you say, okay, here's the money we have. Where do we want it to go? And you get to a point where you both agree. You both agree. You both have a say in this. And I don't care who makes the money and who doesn't. I mean, really saying we're equal partners in here and we're going to decide as a family, this is where our money's going. And, And doing that and at the end of that budget meeting, you know, shaking hands and saying, this is our contract for the month. Neither one of us are going to break it. This is what we're going to stick mm. to. Now, throughout the month, you can change it if you need to, if both spouses agree. But it's amazing. When you when you agree on your money as a couple, the unity that cr- that's created uh, is undeniable. I mean, because, again, money's never just about money. You know, you're agreeing on your goals and your fears and your dreams. And so being one as a couple and doing that. I find a lot of people, they, they, they have the money fights and the arguments when there's not a budget in place because someone overspends or, you know, you look at the bank account and it's like, oh my gosh, you know, when did you go here? And it's like, well, <laughs> I didn't want to tell you because I didn't want you to be mad. You know, it's things and yeah. 
really uh, escalating quickly. But when you can agree both on this is the plan, this is where our money's going, your money fights and money and money arguments they really do lower. And and Matt, I mean, again, you probably know all of this. You're you're an expert. No, in no. These things. But but just the power of, of, of looking at the statistics across America that one of the leading causes of divorce yeah. in America today is money fights and money oh. problems. So this is crucial, crucial for couples. And it's it's it doesn't have to be destructive, like you're saying. It could be calm. I mean, at first it's scary, but once you've done it two, three, four times and you're unifying, like you're saying, you become one. You finally have a shared goal and a shared mission. I mean, and over time you could afford a vacation. Hey, and you could actually go celebrate. So, I mean, it it can be very positive. It can. And I think that you bring up a great point that it is a very vulnerable process if you've never done it. Because, you know, showing what you spend and why you spend it, I mean, it really it, it can be very vulnerable. And so pushing through that awkwardness and those and those hard conversations, push through, keep going. Because after, you know, about three months of doing the budget, it's amazing how quick these budget meetings become because it's become a habit in your life, but you can't imagine living without it. And I'm saying that as a spender and a free spirit, so yeah. I, I know the feeling of not wanting to be on one, but I've really learned that a budget doesn't limit your freedom. A budget gives you freedom. It gives you permission to spend on your money on things that you want to spend on. And again, going back to, to the family dynamic and the couple, I mean, being able to agree on that together is huge. Talk about, um, Rachel, your your vision of um, somebody loving their life, not coveting everybody else's, not thinking that you have to have a boat because your neighbors have a boat or your friends have a boat. What in the end, because I know you, you are big into testimonials and you've seen thousands of lives changed by this. What have you seen it do, this, this paradigm shift of loving your own life? How has it shifted and changed people that you've worked with? For me, as I, as I talk to these, these couples that have gone on this journey and they've really, you know, been focused on it, it's amazing how the, how the comparison trap, I think, is, is somewhat lifted. I think, we'll, you know, we'll always kind of battle it because of social media and that kind of thing. But as I talk to them, they suddenly are less concerned about what everyone else is doing. And when you start winning with money, it's amazing that you really kind of stop caring what people think hmm. uh, because you make different decisions. And when it's your money that you're, that you're spending, you know, it, it sometimes you say, okay, maybe we don't want the new car because this thirty grand in the bank is kind of nice. Yeah, maybe go on two vacations instead. You know, you get to pick and, and choose those things, and so there gets to a point where where when you're going into debt, um, you know, you're you're living so beyond your means that not only the stress and the worry is escalated, but you're really trying to keep up with a life, and it becomes exhausting for everyone in in the situation. And so I see a lot of freedom. Um, a lot of, of just, you know, being able to breathe again um, instead of carrying around the burden of debt. And so I think that that's a, a huge testimony to people that um, not only do their relationships thrive, but I think their life in general, it's just, it feels like a breath of fresh air and instead of a weight that they're carrying mm. around. Love it. We've got about one minute to get you out. And then, so I want to know the one thing, Rachel, what is the one thing, if you only could tell everybody to go do one thing today, what is the one thing that would, would most impact our ability to love our lives and not everyone else's? On the money side, I would say the budget. If you could do one thing right now, sit down and do a budget. We have an app called Every Dollar, and it's free. So download that. That'll kind of help kickstart you uh, on how to do your first budget. 
And and I would say that first and foremost, uh, mm-hmm. money-wise. And then number two, uh, if you're struggling with, with the comparison and the heart issues, start a gratitude list. This is something I do every morning. I just type down two things I'm grateful for. And let that be a habit in your life and start really focusing on the things in your life that, that you are thankful for um, because I think that contentment will come out of that. So, so practically speaking, the budget, but when it comes to your heart, start a gratitude list and write down two things every day that you're grateful for. Beautiful stuff. Rachel Cruz, thank you so much. Keep up the great work. Amazing, uh, amazing mission that she's on. Go to rachelcruz.com. You can find all of her stuff on YouTube. Check her out on Facebook as well. And uh, go look on look for the book, Love Your Life, Not There. Seven Money Habits for Living the Life You Want. It can be there, folks. It can be there for all of us. And uh, sometimes it just takes a little bit of discipline. Rachel Cruz is her name. We'll take a break. We'll come back. Uh, we're going to be talking turkey facts as well as giving you some more crazy headlines. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. When we think of Thanksgiving, I think uh, a lot of us are, you know, consumed with turkey. Turkey was eaten by the pilgrims and the Native Americans in what was traditionally called the first Thanksgiving, which took place in 1621. And now it is estimated that about one third of the annual consumption of turkey in the U.S. takes place in the Thanksgiving and Christmas season. That's a lot of turkey, yo. So anyways, uh, Caitlin Thomas is here with us to... uh, to talk about the facts about what's going on with turkey eating this year and some tips as well. Hello, Caitlin. Good morning. It's just listen to Adam Sandler serenade a song. This Loving is the turkey, turkey song? He talks about how much he loves. It was on Saturday Night Live. All I hear is clapping. This is such a good song. <laughs> Here we go. Thanks anyways. Well, so like Adam Sandler, we're going to talk about turkey today. Talking turkey. Turkey for you. Let's eat the turkey in my big brown shoe. Okay. That's it. That's about, there's a point where we just, you can't be listening to this song <laughs> from BYU Broadcasting. That's why we only played the first That's good. That's a really good song. What, uh, what do you, what's, what's your take on turkey? I, everybody's well, done the old hand turkey yeah, print the, the, that the, the kids do. school and mm-hmm. you put on your fireplace mantle. Yeah, forever. I mean, I'm pretty neutral about turkey. I'm more of a ham person myself. But really? it's Thanksgiving. So it's I like it's, it. it's the tradition. Mm-hmm. I think the nostalgia that comes mm. when you're cooking the turkey. I like the I like the chemicals that make me want to go to sleep. Ooh, we have a fact about that. Did okay. you know it's not actually the turkey that makes you feel drowsy? What is it, the 100 pounds of dressing in my gut? <laughs> yeah, the Thanksgiving Day food coma. Yeah. They say the real culprit, culprit is the amount of food that people eat, just in general. Ah. The processing and digestion of all that food takes away blood from other parts of your body, including <laughs> the brain, which is what causes you to feel tired and drowsy. Is that like, there's a point so where okay. you eat look turkey. across the table and their eyes are rolling back, and uh, that's when we move them away from the I'm table. Out of, there's no blood in their brain left. Maybe your wife's slipping something else into the turkey. Yeah, so she, she can go do Black Friday. <laughs> so you sleep. Mm-hmm. So there is that. So don't be afraid to eat turkey because it's not actually just the turkey. Right. It's the turkey with the potatoes and it's the, the whole pie thing. and the everything. I'm with you. I'm with you. Also, for those that are really, you know, con- health conscious or on a diet the ho- this holiday season. Losers. Turkey is low in fat and high in protein. 
Matt, aren't you one of those losers? Mm. Oh, yeah. Thanks Honey for reminding me. But you have to eat the white meat. Oh, is that? Yeah, don't eat the eat dark meat. Eat the white meat, meat uh, and, it, and it'll keep you on the path of... The protein high. Protein path. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The path And you can of go to the gym the next day. It's fine. That's cool. That's but, cool. But come on. Um, skin or no skin? I love the skin. I'm not very health conscious, though. I should be. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like... I've, I've always had a hard time eating skin. It depends. depends on how it's cooked. uh, Okay, well, here's a tip for buying a turkey. I learned this today, and my mom said she didn't know this before. It's best to choose a turkey that has about one pound for each person you plan to feed at your holiday event. One One pound pound per 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 person. Uh huh. But does that mean the person is actually eating a pound of turkey, or is their turkey shrink? Well, you have to have the leftovers. Well, it says if you want extra leftovers, buy more. But if you're serving more than one type of meat, buy less. Okay. So there's a tip for buying. That is a great buying tip. One pound. I think one pound per guest. That's a lot of turkey. Well, I personally think we could. I'd want two pounds myself. Well, okay. You'll have to buy. If it's so high in protein, and I'm on a protein diet. And Uh. I mean, the average weight of a Thanksgiving turkey is 15 pounds. Really? So on average, whether it's about 15 people at Thanksgiving dinner. How many people do you normally have at Thanksgiving dinner? Uh, I don't have anybody, but I am had Oh. by others. Ah, where do you you eat turkey? I eat turkey with my family, my in-laws, and in-laws, in-laws. So 15? Is that right? Yeah, probably more like 20. That's a pretty good. That's a 20-pound turkey. you need a 20-pound turkey. We might get two 15-pounders. You know? Oh, there you go. Or you could actually you do you could do a fifteen pounder and a five pounder, or if you wanted, you could do ten two pounders. Whatever you want, Matt. Can I give you a really quick uh, turkey fact that leads into the biggest turkey I've ever had? Yeah. So I used to work for an organic chicken and turkey farmer, so I would be very busy this time of year, and uh, we would get free turkeys as employees. Yeah. And I ordered a 30-pound turkey. Wow. And they accidentally sent me two 30-pound turkeys. (laughs) Wow. So uh, what did you make with all that leftover turkey for for a month? Turkey sandwiches? Turkey Um, wraps? You know, I am more of a fan of just trying to recreate the Thanksgiving meal as best as possible. I don't do the sandwiches as much. Yeah, I understand. That makes sense. You, I, I want to know what you did for this turkey farmer. But I mean, that's a lot of turkey. We well, gave one, we did give one of them away. Okay. Yeah. He gave okay. a turkey gift. Did you know that about six hundred and seventy-five million pounds of turkey are eaten at Thanksgiving each year? How many? Six hundred and seventy-five million pounds. Holy cow! Which, if we go back to our first, you know, number, that's six hundred seventy-five million people that are eating turkey. If they're just eating all that on much. the same day, but when you think about it, you have turkey sandwiches at you know the store. You'll, I mean, at uh, Subway, you'll buy turkey sandwiches. Yeah, not at I mean, Subway. This at, is just on Thanksgiving. At Disneyland, oh, you'll have a turkey leg. Ew. I mean, this is turkey's a big industry, right? But like, but in during one this day, holiday, six hundred and something million, six hundred seventy-five million pounds in that's one crazy. day. Crazy. So when you're buying a turkey. Look for the turkey that has the USDA grade A symbol. Grade A. You need to have a grade A. That's These turkeys have the highest quality, and they were raised apparently I, in the best conditions. I always want my turkey to have straight A's. So a straight A. You need a straight A turkey. You want a free-range turkey. 
because I want it to, you know, be out on the range, right? Free. You wanted it to be a happy turkey before you. Yeah, you don't want it to be a stressed, neurotic turkey. Right, because then you might become stressed and neurotic just from eating its meat. You want an air. You want an air chilled turkey and not a water chilled turkey. Oh. This guy. This guy's this turkey good. thinks he knows his turkey. What, what am I doing here? We should just have Jeff be. He's got all of his own tips. You didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know that. He's, he's turkey educated. No kidding. Any other tips? Any other tricks? Uh, any other information we need to know about? Well, when you're cooking a turkey, this always causes my mom a lot of stress or my grandma, whoever's cooking the turkey. That's why I never cook them. Making sure it's fully cooked, you know what I mean? Or yeah. cooked to the right. But, that so ruins the best points everything. To, I know. The best points to check are at the center of the breast, the center of the stuffing area, and the wing joint. It's the best places to check if it's fully cooked. There you go. By the way. Now you won't have to stress about that. Don't you hate it when somebody tries to check your wing joint? Yes. I'm so ticklish. Let's go back, just, to, give, let's go back to the dating wing joint. The dating tips we talked about on Tuesday. Yeah. Don't tickle people's wing Don't joints. touch their wing joint. <laughs> But there you have it. Those are my that's, turkey that's tips. Great. That's really good. I mean, it's only a week away. But I, you might want to make sure you know how long it takes to thaw a turkey because they yes. thaw at a certain rate. Yes, they do. And if you don't know that. And you can't cook it until it's completely thawed. And you don't want to be trying to nuke thaw your turkey. Sadie mentioned about buying a a deep fryer for oh, a turkey. Yeah. I would. I don't know if I'd recommend no, that No, seriously. It causes more fires like per year. like a bomb in your house. <laughs> No, you don't do it. You got to do it like out in the yard, out in the out on the driveway, and oh then and then just have the firefighters. You do it shirtless too. Do it shirtless with a can of something in your hand, yeah. right? Yeah. And I always like to coat my body in Crisco so I don't. Or does that burn? Now that'll burn. That'll burn. Yeah, that'll you want some nice blisters yeah. for things. You don't want to have any flammable liquids on you. Maybe just don't deep fry the turkey. Just don't deep fry it. Well, we appreciate it. That's great insight. Um, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. We've joked about it a lot on the show, by the way, not Thanksgiving, but um, how a lot of people are maybe going to flee the country. So they won't have a turkey because yeah. they'll be in another country? Canadians on social media are now inviting U.S. states that voted for Hillary Clinton to the opportunity to secede from the nation. California, Oregon, Washington, and Nevada have all voted overwhelmingly to elect Mrs. Clinton as president. And since pretty much the rest of the country overwhelmingly voted for Donald Trump, there have been protests, including every night in Oregon. So some generous Canadians are now offering these like-minded states an opportunity to ditch Mr. Trump's America and secede to Justin Trudeau-led Canada. Some Americans even started thinking of new names to call the newly created province of Washington. Wash, uh, well, it would be Washington, Oregon, and California. I think they'll call it Clinton, Canada. Cl- Clinton, Canada. No, because that would be more of the Canada. Does that the, mean we're going to lose Disneyland? Yeah, maybe. Uh, they're saying maybe you could call the new Providence uh, or province Washorifornia or Calorington, you know, or just Clinton. Clinton. So, again, we love Canada, Oregon, Washington. Don't leave the United States of America. Stay with us. And um, but if you need to, we do have a little. What do we call it? A little, they're, they're our sponsor. A sponsor from Canada um, and the Canadian Travel Council. This election has left many Americans rethinking their citizenship. For those of you who are planning on immigrating to another country, we here at the Canadian Chamber of Commerce 
would like to share this important message. We've got attractions to suit Americans of all political persuasions. Welcome to Canada. For those of you who are flabbergasted that Trump even got the GOP nomination, why not give Ontario a try? If you're looking to get your real estate license but have issues with attending Trump University Victoria, then check out Whitewater University, now scandal-free for eight years. Need to send a private email? Ontario boasts hundreds of internet cafes with secured servers, so you can live free from the fear of a lawsuit. And speaking of lawsuits, the legal team of Papillon, Papillon, and Leibowitz will fight for you the next time you're involved in a shady investment. Welcome to Canada. When you don't get your way, come our way, eh? This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Hour number three of the Matt Townsend Show. Happy days are here again. Have we got a great show for you? It's Thursday, so... No, not not one who counts down the days, but that means it's just one more day till Friday. Ah, that sounds so negative. I'm just acting like today is Friday. You are? Mm-hmm. Next week is a shorter week, so we can all make it through this and kill it. Uh, welcome to the program. This is the show where we do what we can to help you create a happy, smart life. We We all need information, tools, skills. To get through life, and today we're, we've got it locked and loaded for you. What to say and what not to say in your marriage. How you can use words to build your home rather than tear it down. Uh, Arlene Pelican will be joining us. She um, She's a regular on the show. We have her, it seems like, about every month, and just a good, a good source of ideas and insight. She works closely um, with uh, the author— why can't I remember his name? Um, Gary Chapman, great author who wrote Love Languages, the five love languages book that everybody mm. loves. Let me guess. It's French and then English. Italian. Italian's yeah. a good one. Obviously, um, you have I, not read the book. I think oh. it's more like touch. Uh-huh. Very good. What? Very and good. Smell. See, yeah, yeah. Touching. Well, touch, <laughs> talk, So it's kind of gifts, this, service a time. A new age approach to relationships uh yeah it's actually more are about there, are there crystals it's kind involved? of an emotional approach oh something that might seem foreign to you isn't Some, every is, age is a new age for you like when you turn 30 and then you turn 31 those are new ages yeah it is um is it an offshoot of yoga no no, no? <laughs> have you noticed jeffrey's jeffrey's been different lately really is he more calm one reason is because his mortgage went through, so he signed yeah. his new home. He's got a new home. That's all good. Yeah. Uh, but he's also apparently being electrocuted. I am so on edge right now. He gets shocked from the board. Yeah. He Jeff touches the equipment in the studio. It shocks him. The soundboard here, and it's, it's electrocuting him. The funny thing is you think that the more careful you are, like the slower you approach the board with your hand, the no. less likely. It's not how That's it works. actually – you're more likely to get shocked that way. That's right. Stop shuffling your feet. That's exactly. We need to put you on a rubber mat like those like chefs use in the kitchen. That's it. We need to ground you. You're grounded. 
It's your slothful approach to walking. Mm-hmm. What? And those <laughs> and those two hook fingers that you have, you little sloth, you. Hey, uh, it's Mickey Mouse Day. Steamboat Willie, remember? Nope, <laughs> not at all. 1928. That little short film, man, changed it all. That's where it all began, and he's he's still killing it. Mickey Mouse. Really? This is a really big time because uh, a few years ago we decided to take our kids for Christmas to um, to Disneyland, and we we bought a Mickey Mouse and a Minnie Mouse animal, stuffed animal, hmm. to to kind of symbolize that. It was also the same year that we were catching dead mice on mouse traps all through our house. Oh, nice! I remember that. Yeah, yeah. you were time. you were infested. Mm-hmm. You had vermin problems. Vermin. Do this we have year? a story coming up about that? I believe we do. Ah. <laughs> we'll get to that, of course, in a few moments. We've got a lot to talk about. We will be getting into uh, Say This, Not That in Your Marriage and talking about kind of the ins, the outs, the do's, the don'ts there. Plus, we will also um, be visiting our good brethren at BYU Sports Nation, find out what's coming up on their show, doing a hero story, all that ahead, plus some headlines, some of which you might want to hear. Not all of them, of course. But first, let's get to Sadie Nielsen with the headlines that you must hear. Sadie, what's going on around the rest of the country? In a closed-door meeting Wednesday, Senate Democrats and unanimously elected Senator Chuck, Chuck Schumer to serve as the Senate Minority Leader and Chair of the Conference for the 115th Congress. Schumer will succeed Senator Harry Reid, who is retiring after three decades in Congress. Senator Dick Durbin will be the Minority Whip, while Senator Patty Murray will be named Assistant Democratic Leader. Both Senator Elizabeth Warren and Senator Bernie Sanders were given roles on the new leadership team. President-elect Donald Trump will give one of his very first interviews since being elected president to the celebrity gossip website TMZ. The one-hour special, Objectified, will feature an interview with Trump as he showcases the objects in his home and offers the stories behind each memento, Bloomberg News News reported. It airs at 10 p.m. Eastern Time on Friday, November 18th on Fox News Channel. Hillary Clinton made her first public appearance since losing the presidential election at a charity gala for the Children's Defense Fund in Washington, D.C. on Wednesday night. I will admit, coming here tonight wasn't the easiest thing for me, Clinton told those in attendance. She cited the Children's Defense Fund uh, founder Marion Wright Edelman and, as inspiring her to get back on her feet and to get to work. And finally, yes. um, a Siamese fighting fish with wow. the colors of the Thai national flag has been bought for drum roll please oh boy $1,530 hold on a a fish oh is that Hillary a Clinton? fish yes a fish one fish was purchased $4,000 yes I think it was Goldie $1,500 um, is that this a is, lot? It's possibly the most expensive betta fish ever sold. Oh, so you, a betta fish. It's yeah. a betta fish. Yeah. So you know those little tiny fish you see in cups yeah. at Petco that are like Who? a buck. Somebody got ripped off. You know, it's actually a really pretty fish, though, I is have it to admit. Rare? It's very rare. Mm. Um, they, the breeder said the chance of getting a fish with the flag's exact color is one in 100,000. Okay. So, so it's pretty rare. It's probably somebody from Thailand then. Yes. Who bought the flag? Fish, um, most likely was. Do you know if the the fish was uh, served breaded? Um, not this time. 
I love breaded fish. Grilled? I lo- was, or was it grilled then? No. It was oh, sauteed. Sushi. It was raw. On, on it was a stick? Sashimi. Would you want to eat a betta fish? The tiny little thing? Are you asking me if I have eaten a betta fish? <laughs> I don't know. Have you? Well, I wasn't in a fraternity, but yes, I have. Okay. No, <laughs> no I wouldn't eat a betta fish. That's disgusting. The things you learn about Matt Townsend. That's disgusting. Uh, no, that was just a bad joke about breaded or... or um, but now I'm hungry. I am too. Little lemon. Mmm. The hard thing is to get their little their little beta bones out. Eh. Nothing worse than a beta bone. But They're high them, in calcium. Makes them a little bit more crunchy. <coughs> is that Hillary? <laughs> Hillary has a a bone, a fish bone. That was yeah. Caitlin stuck in her oh. throat. Okay, good stuff. Um, it is again uh, Mickey Mouse Day. <laughs> Use less stuff day. Also. Mr. Big Stuff. Hmm. If you have a lot of stuff, you are Mr. Big Stuff. And if you have a lot of stuff, there's a good chance that you've got a reality show on A&E or True TV. You're dropping stuff off at the storage unit. No, no, no. No. You're not getting rid of anything. It's all there still. Really? Yeah. You're just a hoarder. Mm Mm-hmm. It's interesting that one show they have is for hoarders, and the other show is for people that have too much and sell it for a profit. A&E's got a racket going on. Yeah. And then antique buyers, it's this whole, it's a, it's a enterprise. I have a neighbor, two or three doors down, three doors down. I am convinced she's having a perpetual garage sale minus the sale. She always has this mysterious truck that's pulling up, unloading stuff, taking stuff away. She's always in the garage, shuffling things around, and it's just jam-packed full of stuff. Maybe she's fencing stolen goods. Mm. Ask her. Excuse me, are you doing something illegal? (laughs) Absolutely. My coworker was wondering if you're fencing stolen goods at your place. Last night I went to the the, uh, play Sister Act. Yeah, my, my wife went to that a week ago. It was awesome. Guess where I was. You were probably watching games. Watching college football. She enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah, she went with a, a friend. You might want to try going with her. It was it was wonderful. In our relationship, she goes to the comic book movies with me. Okay. And then I take care of the kids when she goes and sees the stuff she but wants to see. Shouldn't you go do something she wants to do? We've talked about that. I don't. She doesn't really think it's a realistic goal at this time. She probably doesn't want to hear you complaining for the next yeah, three I'll, hours. I'll be over there like, oh. And then and she's like, sign. turn off your phone. I go, oh, come on. <sighs> I took my daughters to see the Trolls movie. Did you? Yeah. And your wife just stayed home? Yeah. To watch the kids that didn't go? <laughs> the, she's... Are you saying I went by myself? No. You know, you took the two. Yeah. This is how two. good it was. My four year old said this after the movie. I've never heard her say this. That was a lot of fun. Oh, cute. She was dancing the whole time. I would take them, if I were you, to Sister Act. There is some adult topics. Just cover their ears. <laughs> take, some, take some of those earmuffs that you wear when you shoot guns. Yeah, we all have those. So wait, you're saying, let's just recap. If you're going to see Sister Act, take your headphones with you. Well, I mean, just if you're taking little kids. Okay. If you're, if you're not going to have little kids there, then you're fine. A review of Sister Act. It really is. It's good, except for that one part. We're trying to get more culture into our children. And I had my 12-year-old, 13-year-old, and he loved it. 
My 11-year-old said he wouldn't be caught dead there. <laughs> but uh, actually, next time we're taking him to Aida, Ooh, and he I'd may be much caught dead there. Go see Sister Act than Aida. <laughs> I know. But he's going. We're going to force our children to, to uh, inject culture into their lives. Mm. I did see Aida in New York. Really? Mm-hmm. How'd it go? <sighs> okay. How do you make culture more fun? You because well, whenever someone goes, hey, we're going to go experience some culture, it ends up where I'm sitting there, and I'm just not well entertained. Some, or... Sometimes it is just the level where you are. Okay, if, you know, intellectually, if if like a young 13 year old kid may not love Aida. What about a 39 year old man? Sometimes a 39 year old man <laughs> won't like it. But if you tell, this is what I would tell okay. a 39 year old man yeah. about Aida that she's a super. It's a superhero story. See, I already know you're lying. And then you just say, just look for the superhero story in there. And then after we will talk about it because it will become one of the new Marvel comics. Because then it's like superhero of serving others or superhero of recognizing others' feelings. And that's not really a power. It's just something you do. It is a power. Ask any woman on earth if understanding your feelings is powerful. See, Tony Stark ignores everyone else's feelings but flies around in a rocket man suit. But he broke up with his, what was his? Was it Penny? Penny. Peppa Pig? Peppa, no, yeah, it was Pepper. Pepper Potts. Pepper Pepper Potts. There we go, yeah. He broke up with her because he's a horrible boyfriend. Yeah, but he still has the rocket suit. Right, but and he got into a fight with Captain America and the Winter Soldier at the same time. Okay, so I think what we've learned from this is go see the movie Trolls. Trolls, I have a problem with that movie. Okay, that's exactly what we learned. By the way, also we've learned today is because it's Mickey Mouse Day, we found a really special story we wanted to read. (laughs) That is, um, it's enough to just make you cringe. A woman thought she found the perfect dress. uh, Kylie Faisal was quite happy with her latest purchase of a new dress. Then she noticed an unpleasant odor Mm, and and realized that what she felt rubbing against her leg wasn't a loose thread. Stick with me. Or she thought it was a security tag or one of those types of things. As the New York Post reports, Faisal had bought a black scoop neck dress from a store in Greenwich, Connecticut for about 40 bucks in July. When she didn't notice uh, anything amiss with the garment at the time, uh, but Faisal uh, took the dress home uh, and uh, to work, actually, a couple weeks later, she couldn't help notice that there was a smell, a pungent smell uh, with the dress. At first, the New Yorker didn't, you know, did what anyone else would do when confronted with a bad smell. She got up from her desk, walking around to see what was the odor. Then Faisal noticed another strange thing about the dress. I felt something brushing up against my leg, and I thought it was a string from the seam of the dress. When I went to pull it apart, uh, to pull at it, it didn't feel like a string. I then felt the hem of the dress, and it, 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 I, uh, it felt like there was some sort of sensor in it, maybe? Like one of the security sensors? Yeah. But a closer look at the dress, however, revealed that it wasn't a sensor rubbing against her leg. Instead, she found the leg of a decomposing rodent. Yeah. Sticking out of the seam. So So it was a little rodent leg bone, foot, scratching on her leg. Yeah. 
Uh, needless to say, she said, I changed immediately. Good thing I had something to change into. Honestly, I don't know if it would have mattered. At that point, you're... you got to get that dress off. Yeah. You have a dead rodent in there. In addition to the distress associated with finding a dead rodent in one's dress, Faisal also says she developed a rash that was later diagnosed as rodent bo- uh, rodent-borne disease. <laughs> That's what you want to hear at the doctor's office. Well, you have a rodent-borne disease. She's now suing the clothing store, claiming the fashion retailer has a duty of uh, care to ensure that their clothing (laughs) is free from defects and uh, rodent limbs. Yeah. We can't have decomposing decomposing rats in the seams of your dress. That seems a little negligent. Has anybody asked if she put it there to get a little money? Are we just going to trust her on this? Absolutely. Do you remember that one time she when put Sadie photographs on put a rodent media. leg in her dress? Yeah. And then said, hey, somebody put a rodent leg in my dress. I, I do like it. She, she smelled something foul. Yeah. And then she did what everyone would do. You kind of walk around to see what it was, and then it follows her around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wait a did, second. It's me. Don't I, you yeah. hate that when you figure out the smell is you? I would <laughs> never admit to that, but yes. <laughs> Hold it. Is that me? Is that What's that thing jabbing my leg? As a kid, the saying was, the smeller's the feller, right? Yeah, right. It's bad when you are actually the feller. That's not good. But it's even worse when the feller is a dead rodent. That's right. Oh, is this Donald? This is Donald during the debate. This is debate performance. I think he's smelling himself. Maybe he had a rat somewhere. Oh, uh, boy. No On his head. It could be. It always comes back. It always comes back. Donald and Hillary still keep haunting the show. Um, okay, that's uh, that's your update. That's all you needed to know. Check your check the hems of your dresses of anything you buy. Make sure there aren't any rodent legs in there. A little lesson for you. Up next, say this, not that in your marriage. Some uh, tips from Arlene Pelican about uh, how to how to communicate more effectively with your spouse, your significant other. Interesting insights helping you to love stronger. Right here on the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. playground as a kid to tell other kids sticks and stones can break my bones but words will never hurt me but if you're married or have ever been in a relationship you know that that's far from the truth words are a huge tool in making and shaping a relationship it's important to know how to use them properly today arlene pelican author of 31 days to becoming a happy mom rejoins us to teach us uh, what and what not to say uh, in our marriage to build a happy home. Arlene, welcome back, my friend. Thank you so much Thanks for being so with much. us. Fun to be with you again, Matt. Yeah, there are two sides to this equation. One is, you know, what words are you going to say? And then the other equation is, okay, when your spouse messes up and says not the right thing, right. how are you going to respond? Yeah, I think it's, I, I think it's more important, Arlene, that we focus on what, what our spouses need to stop saying. Because yes. <laughs> it's really not about me. We, of course, are doing just fine. Yeah. We understand these things because we have studied them. Um, This is it's a hard thing, too, because I've noticed just in my own coaching with couples, it doesn't it's not even what you say as much as how they interpret it. Yes. The way it is said, you know, if, if a husband comes home and says, 
what have you been doing all day? Yeah. You know, to his wife. She's wow. like, okay, that was a problem. But, you know, if he comes home and says, hey, honey, tell me about your day. What have you been up to? Because that's a lot different. Totally. Like, okay, I did this, I did this. So, yes, the way you say things and the way it's interpreted is very important. Okay, talk to us. Teach us some of the tips. Uh, what are yeah. some phrases that, that if we're not careful, you know, they'll lead us down a road to death? You want to avoid those you always and you never type of statements. You know, I just heard my daughter, she's in second grade, say to our junior high son, you always make me feel bad. You know? mm. And I said to her, Lucy, does Ethan always make you feel bad or just, you know, sometimes, you know, there are many times that he's very nice to you. And we have to, in the same way, a seven-year-old's got to check. You know, okay, is this really true what I'm saying? Right. That when we say, you always do such and such, you never have done this for me. And think about it, you know, wait a minute, that's really not true. And even just cleaning up our language to say, you know, you sometimes do this, that feels a lot better than you always are like this and you never, you know. So just cleaning up that always, never, just kick those to the curb and say, you know, sometimes. I feel that you X, Y, and Z. Mm. And that's going to start that conversation a whole lot better. Something for your for you husbands not to say as you come home, when's dinner going to be done? Right. Dinner, as you, like, sit on the couch and you, like, open up the paper. Yeah. <laughs> you don't don't yeah. want to do that. Woman? Because, right. Because, <laughs> when's it going to be ready? <laughs> you know, so, so in that sense, husbands are more like, hey, when's dinner going to be done? And is there anything I can do to mm. help you? You know, and that's of course, so good. something like that's going to be so much better. And your wife may say, you know, honey, I'm good, but you know, 20 minutes. And that's so much better than, Hey, when's dinner going to be done? And you're like sitting there. So even a small habit like that, that you change daily will really help your communication in your marriage, even by showing, and you might not feel husband like helping your wife. Right. You're hoping, right. She says nothing dear. You're hoping, but just that willingness to say, you know what, if you did need help, I actually would help you. You know, that's huge to a woman. She just loves that, you know. And then for us wives, when we can tell our husbands don't want to talk, like we say something and they're just like, yeah, <laughs> whatever. Like, leave them alone. Don't go in there and keep asking questions. Well, tell me more about your day, dear. It was great. What was great about it? I don't know. <laughs> like, just leave the poor man alone, <laughs> you know. And just let him be. A lot of times I hear that when men come home from work, they just like a few minutes to unwind. They just like a little zone where sure. it's not like I walked in the door and all these questions came. So give your husband that courtesy of saying, you know what, I can leave you alone for a little bit. And then later in the evening, you can ask and say, you know, honey, there's a few things I want to talk about. Would you be willing to, is this a good time? Can you use and your words? That's what you say. Can you, can you use yeah, your don't, words? don't say that either. Some of this is just simply, um, we, we, we seem to have different agendas, different goals when we're communicating. Yeah. It's almost like she's communicating to bond in that moment and he's right. trying to decompress and yeah. so talking would stress him out more. Um, and it's, it's almost like when he's asking about dinner, he might be going for information. Hey, right. so when should, I, when should I plan on eating? It's just kind yeah. of very technical. But it's, so yeah. I guess part of this is we have to go deeper than the words, right, and understand what the intent is. You know, and there's this uh, thing about successful couples is they assume the best about each other. So if one of them makes this verbal faux pas, they don't go like, oh, see, I knew you were going to. They mm. say, you know what? You've probably had a hard day, and you probably didn't really mean that. 
So honestly, if you go to bat for your spouse and you feel like, man, I'm the only one doing this, like the other one doesn't think the best of me, it is okay. Like be the person who goes first and says, I'm going to keep assuming the best about you. And before long, you'll see that the best will start rising out of your spouse more and more. I yeah, think. I think that's true. Totally true. In your, um, in your article, Say This, Not That in Your Marriage, you talk about two ideas that that can kind of help us transcend all of this this misinformation, this misunderstanding yeah. that goes on. What are those two ideas? Yes, they are patience and perspective. To have patience for your spouse. You know, many times we're so impatient, right? Why can't you get this right? Or how many times have I told you this? Or haven't we been down this road before? And we become impatient. But whenever I feel that way towards my husband, James, I like to turn it around in my mind and think, you know, there are many times I have dropped the ball and lots of times where I've had to learn the same lesson over and over again. And you know what? The same level of patience I want meted out to me, like I I should give to you. And one phrase that I like to do, because sometimes, you know, my husband, James, is very, he's very funny. He's not a shy man. He's (laughs) a man that will tell you, like, here's what we need to do. And we're starting tomorrow, you know, like after after Thanksgiving, Christmas, it'll be like, okay, padlock on the refrigerator. We're starting to work out. Let's do this thing. You know, he's totally no nonsense. Let's go. And so sometimes I'll think, you are so difficult to live with. You know, like mm-hmm. what woman would allow her husband to, to do these kinds of things in the kitchen or whatever? Right. And so I can go down this trail of, you are so hard to live with. And then everything he does, I'm like, oh, yeah, see, hard to live with. Yep, there it is. Hard to live More with. More evidence. Yep. So what I have done is that patience that says, you know what, I'm not so perfect either, and I'm not that easy to live with either. And instead of saying that, I say, you know what, it is easy to be married to you, and I think of ways why it's easy to be married of you. You provide for us. You bring leadership to the family. You tell me you love me every day. You put little notes in my, in my jeans. Like, you do stuff like this, and it's really easy to be married to you. So I turn that around, and it helps me to be more patient towards him because I'm speaking in my mind differently about him. And, you know, when you huff and puff and you say, I don't like my spouse very much right now, you know what? They probably don't like you either. Right. <laughs> in that moment, right? We're even. So That's right. We're even. So having that patience. And, you know, naturally we are not patient. We're selfish. We're impatient. We want things faster in a hurry. And so it's asking God, God, give me patience. Let that love come into my heart for my spouse and give me patience that I don't naturally have. And I believe God answers those kinds of prayers. Mm, I do, too. In fact, yeah. um, I, I heard Eckhart Tolle say something once about use your relationships as a spiritual practice. So yeah, exactly. see the relationship yeah. as a way to grow your spirituality. Because they're the test right oh, there every day. They're the you, ultimate are you test. Are really loving? Right. Are you really kind? That's right. I mean, when you think about it, there's probably no one on earth that you're more vulnerable with or should be able to be. Uh, it's, it is it is a spiritual, just like you're vulnerable to your God in your prayers, you're vulnerable right. to your spouse. Yeah. That's great. That's yeah. why patience and perspective matters. I mean, the, like you're saying, if my perspective is immediately a negative one, then it doesn't matter because every every thought or interpretation down the row will just be negative, self-fulfilling. Right. I have a wonderful mentor named Pam Farrell, and she and her husband, Bill, have written many books. One of them is called Men Are Like Waffles, Women Are Like Spaghetti. It's about how men process things in boxes one at a time, and women are like all over the place. And Pam was so sick of him leaving his coffee mugs everywhere, like they'd be in the garage, in the kitchen, in the bedroom, 
yeah. in the office, like everywhere. And she's just like, how can this man not find the kitchen? Like, how is this possible? <laughs> and she'd collect all these cups and put them in the dishwasher. And one day it dawned on her, you know what? My poor husband has to drink all this coffee to keep up with me because she's like super go, 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 go. And she doesn't need to drop a coffee to go, go, go. And so she realized, you know what? He drinks all this. So he can stay, stay up with me. And instead of being unhappy about this, every time I put this coffee cup away, I'm going to say, God, thank you for this coffee-loving man who does so much to stay up with me. That is great. And so now, all of a sudden, her perspective changed, right? And as she's doing this, now something that would have been a bother, she's turned it into a blessing. Like, hey, how can I spin this? What's the perspective? I have an aunt. She's, uh, she just turned 70, and she's a few years shy of 50 years um, being married, and she just lost her husband about mm. a month ago. Oh. And I just think of that perspective, right, of there will come a day that perhaps you won't have your spouse next to you. And I think if we realize that, we would so much more be patient with them, treasure them, use our words so much better with them. If we realize that perspective of, hey, you know what, tomorrow is not promised to us, and we should really enjoy one another's company today. Mm, that is, that I mean, think of that. That immediately yeah. gives us the right perspective, and then patience and spirit fills our heart. We're speaking with Arlene Pelicane um, from ArlenePelicane.com. She is the author of the book 31 uh, Days to Becoming a Happy Wife. Also, Growing Up Social, Raising Relational Kids in a Screen-Driven World. She co-wrote that with Gary Chapman of the Five Love Languages fame, and she's a close associate with Dr. Chapman as well. We've had him on the show. We'll take a break, come back, continue the discussion, what to say, what not to say in your marriage, really how to bring more peace to your conversations with each other. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us on the phone, Arlene Pelicane from ArlenePelicane.com, a wonderful resource just for life and a happier home. And Arlene um, is the author of two books, 31 Days to a Happy Husband and 31 Days to Becoming a Happy Wife, uh, along with her new, um, uh, I mean, another book that she wrote with Dr. Gary Chapman about um, social, I'm trying to find it, Arlene. Growing up social, raising relational kids in a screen-driven world. You've written so many books. It's fun. I'm enjoying myself. You're, you're doing it. You're keeping it up. And today we're talking about uh, marriage, how to, what to say, what not to say in your marriage. What are some other tips you give us that, that will help us keep the peace but still connect? Yeah. And I think it's that whole idea of in, in thinking of the other person, as we talked about earlier, thinking the best of them. And then you can also ask this question, will this matter tomorrow? Like whatever it is that's bugging you or you're arguing about, will this matter tomorrow? And if it does matter tomorrow, then you do need to talk about mm. it. So just by saying we want positive communication, that doesn't mean the absence of conflict. That just means conflict that is respect-based, that is love-based, you know. Right. And so it's this whole idea of, okay, will this matter tomorrow? And if it doesn't matter tomorrow, then you know what? Let us slide down your back and it's over and continue with your life and be flexible. But if it does... Then it's like, okay, I will do this. I remember we were going to the rodeo once. I live here in Southern California, and there's a rodeo about 45 minutes away. 
And we're pelicans, which means we're frugal, and we pack all our food with us. <laughs> three kids. So we've been yeah. carrying all this food in. Well, at the gate, they say, okay, you see these people, and they're tossing their food, right? So they're checking it at the gate, and they're saying, no outside food, no outside drink, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I'm thinking, okay, I'm a rule follower, so I'm just, like, going to chuck all this stuff in the trash. Well, James comes storming behind me. He retrieves from the trash our Ziploc bag of apples. (laughs) (laughs) He says to the kids, get out of line. Everybody start eating. Start eating apples. (laughs) Eat it now. So everybody's eating. And he's so upset at me, like, why would you throw away perfectly good food? And then I say to him, this is, like, extremely embarrassing. We just, like, pulled out food from the garbage. <laughs> Trash. Not spend a few dollars and like, go get something to eat. And as we're sitting, waiting for the horses and all this stuff, I'm kind of, like, steaming. Like, this is ridiculous. But then I ask myself this question, right? Yeah. Will this matter tomorrow? It's like, you know what? This is not going to matter tomorrow. This is not this big marriage deal breaker. Right. It's actually kind of, it's actually kind of funny. Well, so it, if we can oh, get huge. sooner, like, will this matter tomorrow? And you know what? This is actually kind of funny. That's a good, that's a great place to be able to get to. And the sooner you can get there, the, the more uh, you'll have a more relaxed and positive communication style with your spouse. And that's a great yeah. example of you. You're the one that changed because you could have sat there and stewed and stayed in your story and been embarrassed, but you okay. you thought yourself out of it. Yes. And that not that empowering? That yeah. As a husband, as a wife, you don't have to be stuck there. Everyone yeah. else has moved on. They're all fine. <laughs> right. You're the one that's sitting there. And so that you can, you can learn how to think better and it will make you relate better. That's great. And then if you're calmer and you get your head in the right place, you might have more influence on your partner to say, you know, we, it seems like we both kind of were off there. I should have probably conferred with you about what I was going to do. You probably shouldn't have dumpster dived and, and then (laughs) made this huge scene. And then I should, I should have forgiven you faster and we could, we could always own more of the problem, can't we? We can. You know, so many times you'll hear that someone will come into a counseling office and they'll say, okay, here's a circle. How much of this circle is your responsibility and how much of your, this circle is your spouse's responsibility? You know, and most people are like, oh, it's all his fault. The whole circle's his. Right. <laughs> the whole circle's hers, you know. So true. And I think that first step is, you know what, a lot of that circle is mine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the more you take ownership of it the sooner you can start fixing it up. Yeah. Um, As we wrap up, Arlene, um, the two points you have been drilling in our heads is patience and perspective. If there was one thing that that you see quickly can help us gain patience, um, perspective seems like it might be asking that question, what will this matter tomorrow? What is the one thing that brings patience immediately in? I think it is that quick prayer that says, God, Give me patience. God, make me a more patient person. And the humorous thing about that is what will happen then in your life, you'll start having all these things happen to test that prayer. Right. (laughs) Because you gain the patience by having tests and experiencing it and giving out patience. But I think that quick prayer, God, give me patience. Help me. Help me have patience with that person. And this idea of, hey, you know what, I'm not a perfect person either. I think when we approach our relationships with humility, especially with our spouse, and we say, I'm willing to learn here, and I might be wrong here. That will help you be more patient with them, and they will be infinitely more patient with you instead of you coming in there with this proud, well, certainly I couldn't be wrong, and there's nothing I could learn about 
you know, I, I know everything. Yeah. It's really sweet. I'll have people come by my book table and they'll look 31 days to a happy husband. And I'll have some women that say, Oh, I've been married for 50 years. <laughs> you know what, dear, there's always something I can learn. And they get the book. Oh, and then two minutes yeah. later, a woman will come and she'll be like, if I've been married for 16 years, if that man ain't happy by now, he'll never be happy. You know, she walks right. away. But I think that right. wouldn't help her anyway. Right. And it's this idea of patience, of humility, of saying, I have something to learn. I haven't learned it all. And I want to be patient with myself, and I want to be patient with my spouse. Beautiful. Arlene Pelicane's her name. Thank you so much, Arlene. Really, truly, uh, words of wisdom. Go check out the website, ArlenePelicane.com, and uh, you can check out all of her books, 31 Days to Becoming a Happy Husband, a Happy Wife. Wonderful tools for all of us. Folks, relationships matter. And uh, many, many times you are in the driver's seat. You are the key, um, even if it's a two-way problem. We'll take a break. Come back. Visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. See what's coming up on their show today. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. What a mouse. It's Mickey Mouse Day, so we're going to uh, shoot it down to two of uh, the great Mouseketeers. Um, Spencer and Jerem today hanging out at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show today. Hello, gentlemen. Yes, he is. Do you I guys, loved, the, yeah, the mouse. Do you like that? Do you like Minnie Mouse's version of What a Mouse? Disney can do anything, and it's good, right? Right. I mean... Be careful with that amount of power you've uh, just given them. <laughs> they certainly feel that way. They've and got a blank the check. Part, they're successful. There's they... only a couple of people I trust that amount of power. Really? Yeah. Hey, am I one of them? No. no. Okay. Absolutely not. At least, we get, we at least you're together you on that. A soda machine, and you have abused that privilege. Did you notice that? I brought in a huge cooler. 128 ounce. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just doing what I can. Yeah. Hey, um, happy Mickey Mouse Day. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks. Uh, I've got to ask you a few questions from stories of today. Did you hear about the lady that bought a dress and the no, dress smelled, had a foul odor in it mm-hmm. and something kept scratching her leg? Oh, no. Yeah. And then they found a rodent leg. Oh, no. In the hem of the garment. I hate when that happens. That's disgusting. Mm. <laughs> then she when got. I buy a dress, I do not want anything else in there. That's a great statement. <laughs> um, did, what, what is the worst thing you have found in the hem of one of your, you know, dresses? I've never had that, Matt, but it's funny you bring up odors and strange odors at mm. that. Odors. See? Jerem experienced the following story with me yesterday. Hey, so I got in my car yesterday morning, mm-hmm. and I'm like, why does it smell like a skunk so bad in my car? <laughs> so I'm like looking around like to see if, because my wife had taken the car out the night before for a girl's night. Ah, oh boy. Like, Every time. Somebody got sick. Somebody going to hit a skunk and ruin. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm like, no, nah, it's probably just uh, in the area. So I drive to work and we get back in my car to go to BYU football practice and it still smells like a skunk is in my car. <laughs> so I asked my wife yesterday when I got home, like, Wife? Why does skunk? my car smell like a skunk? And she's like, I think we drove over it just at the moment it released its smell. Ugh. And I was like, are you serious? And she's like, yes. 
<laughs> Did you tell her that means she has to go clean the undercarriage? Isn't that terrible? That is sad for the skunk. That is a pungent stench. Oh, Quite yeah. pungent. Stings you, the nostrils. Have you ever had an animal, a dog of yours with that smell? That's I hear that's the worst, you know, that's when you really rethink dogs. <laughs> After chasing a skunk and getting sprayed. Right. It ain't pretty. Oh, man. Oh, yeah, that's bad. I thought there was going to be more to the story, like the girls, somebody got sick in the back seat. I thought something somebody left bad a hoagie. happened. I'm like, what, what food? Like, did someone have their food, like, slip under the seat and it was just, like, rotting away or something? <laughs> No, they drove over a skunk at the perfect time because immediately they were like, oh, it smells like the skunk is in our car. Yeah, that's not good. That'll take a while. So I'm not sure if I can take it through the car wash like 12 times. Or... Just, you know what? It's snowing. So give it a couple weeks and all the snow and ice, <laughs> it'll, it'll, it'll go away. The chemicals on the roadway that yeah. my car paint away will uh, help the smell go away, exactly. too? Exactly. Okay. See, you know. Yeah. Did you guys hear about the Browns fan that's organizing a parade for the Cleveland Browns? For worst team? Worst team ever. Zero for 16. If they go zero for 16, he wants to hold a parade. Well, the Miami Dolphins did this a few years ago uh, in, I believe, 07. And your uh, quarterback, John Beck, was a part of that. They record, were one in 15. season. Oh, they, were, they actually won They won one. a game. Didn't they? Wasn't there an NFL? I thought they lost. Do you? They lost all sixteen. Do, no, there do, was an NFL team that lost all sixteen, right? I I don't know, uh, but this would be a first for this franchise. Yes. But, yeah, yes. And, and that's significant, right? The, do do you want to be Detroit on that Lions. float? I mean, do the athletes actually show up for that parade? Uh, that'd be a no. Yeah, I think yeah, it's it, it's happened four times since forty four. Wow. Yeah, I think it's really supportive. I didn't. I didn't realize the Dolphins won one game. That changes my entire life. Mm -hmm. Really? I didn't know that. That's pretty cool. It's amazing that you can (laughs) type something into Google and it will just pop up. I just typed in worst team in NFL history, and it's like, the list, 10 worst teams in NFL history. Holy cow. Any any oh, notable? Oh, it's a slideshow one. Oh, oh that was the worst. Number one is the 2008 Detroit Lions. Bleacher Report. Come on. Oh, and 16. Come on. Yeah. Well, I, I'm just I, I'm proud that we don't ever have to experience that here at BYU. BYU had a one in twenty five basketball season in when? 1996. Yeah, and then they hired a guy named Steve Cleveland, and he turned around the program. Steve Cleveland will join us today on the show. Holy segue! How's that for a transition, Matt? That was one of the best transitions I've ever seen. And Steve Cleveland walked into our studio. He just walked in. That right triggered in. the idea. Another true story. <laughs> That is, see, your timing is impeccable. <laughs> if I had a nickel, man. What, uh, what else is on the show? Oh, Today's loaded. See. Yeah, we're trying to figure out, out of the six wins that BYU football has this season, which deserves the title of best? Because you can define best however you want it. So but true. Which do you think is the overall best win out of the six? Three power five teams BYU has defeated this year. I sound like Yoda. <laughs> Three power power five five teams. BYU was defeated this year. Did they? (laughs) But there's a situation where they, one of those three teams, might not be the best win. Mm. UMass head coach Mark Whipple will join us. uh, What he expects Saturday against fellow independent Brigham, and why is he looking for Andy Reid's statue on campus? Mm. Hmm. Isn't that a juicy tease? That is. That's like my turkey dinner. Yeah, it's uh, NCAA tournament game day for BYU women's soccer against Oklahoma. Trip to the Sweet 16 on the line. Oh, to- 
Oklahoma where the wind comes rolling down the plains. Yep, beat the Sooners. Holy cow. <laughs> I've got chills. I have never heard a vibrato like that ever on the radio. Oh, Jerem loves himself some musicals. You sounded like Ethel musicals. Merman. I was watching uh, South Pacific, the original, the other night at 3.30 in the morning with my one-year-old. Okay, so talk, someone has a sleep talky, problem. Tucky, tucky, talk. <laughs> Happy music, talk. Music man's my favorite. That's great. That's, the... That's what you do. You know what? Just try Benadryl. Oh, my gosh. They go right to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. As a father of six. <laughs> They're all drug addicted now, though. They yeah. can't sleep Speaking without of their drug Benadryl. Uh, are going for two picks. They're coming up as well for basketball today. Okay. Okay. The competition yeah, it's a, continues. It's we, a game day well, for basketball and soccer. It's and it's, it's an exciting right? day. It's a huge day, and Coppin you have State Steve Cleveland. They're ranked in the top three hundred. <laughs> there, there you go. Are they? There you they go. Might not, they, they might, might not be, be in the three thirties. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> they stink. Technicality. There's going to be dunks and threes tonight. It's going to be awesome. Technicality. Okay. Well, guys, have a great show. I know you got to go. Wax on. Go get ready for the big game. Thank you. Thanks. Peace out. Oklahoma. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Wait till you see uh, him do what is it? Seven brides for seven brothers. Is that what it is? Eight brides. Ten brides. How many brides for brothers? Uh, well, they came out with a sequel, and then it was 12. Oh, man. It gets, it's a lot of brides for brothers. He's got some great pipes. He's got that high range. His voice isn't bad either. Great point. Nailed it. Hey, here's a question for you. Do, uh, do insects feel emotions? Hmm. Apparently, winged pollinators also known as bees. They do. Beans, uh, bees, bees appear to have emotion. It's an open question whether they subjectively experience the feelings, though. So, but they, they have an emotion-like state, according to a study published this week in Science. In other words, they may experience something akin to happiness. To some, the idea is still controversial, however. Unlike humans, you can't simply ask a bee to interrogate its own emotions and describe them. Instead, researchers have to look for evidence that the insects have the cognitive, behavioral, psychological building blocks that can combine to create a complex emotion. So whenever a bee is stinging you, the bee is thinking to itself, trust me, this hurts me so much more than you. I wish I didn't have to do this. Come on, Larry. I told you not to get close. And then he t- goes into a depression, and then the bee dies. Dies. Because half of its abdomen has been ripped out. <sighs> so be careful. That means, you know, I mean, I've always worried, like, when you step on a bug, do they feel it? I'm going to bet not. I've never thought of that. Have you really? No. But it, it, to me, it's the equivalent if Trump Towers fell out of the sky and just landed right on top of you. Would you feel it? No. No. I mean, you might for a is split that a, second. Is that a real concern of yours? Shot out from under the tower. But no, no, it's not. Not anymore. Now that I've solved that problem. Hey, uh, as, you like, as you know, we like to end with a hero story. So here we go. And this is found on Newser.com. When his father suddenly died while leading 34 Boy Scouts and chaperones on a 19-mile hike in the Appalachian Mountains in New Hampshire, 
16-year-old David Norton didn't panic. Instead, he just led as his father had done. David, who hails from Acton, Massachusetts, was in charge of a group of intermediate-level scouts on Sunday when he was told that his father had collapsed further up the mountain. James Norton was telling the kids to be careful where they walked because it was slippery. James Norton's mother tells the Boston Globe. Then there was silence and a thud. Suspecting his father had suffered a heart attack, per the New York Daily News, David led his charges down the mountain through tears until he found a cell phone signal and called home. I know he would have wanted me to lead the rest of the scouts in the medium group down the mountain and make sure they got there okay. It was icy and probably dangerous, says David, who later learned that his father had died of a heart attack uh, after almost two hours of CPR. Um, James's mother says her son's goal had been to teach children about nature. Through his laughter, his sense of humor, and desire to make scouting fun, James showed the scouts that anything was possible. A fellow scout leader adds that uh, David, he lived for the scout oath and law. Everything he did was an embodiment of those two things. This Boy Scout saved, uh, saved his father's life. Powerful stuff, folks. In the end, um, we're all heroes. We all do what we can when we have to. You don't always love what you have to go through, and uh, yet sometimes we still have responsibilities, things we still need to do, and that's the challenge we uh, we give to all of us at the end of the show every day. Let's just go live up to what we know. Let's go be what we know we can be. Let's start seeing the better and the good things in the world and be the best we can be. That's all we can ask of each other. Till tomorrow, folks, make it a great one. Remember, you have some choices in life as well. Life's not just happening to you. We'll be back tomorrow to give you more ideas, more information to live longer, love stronger. Until then, make it a great one. We will talk again tomorrow.